Reincarnation of Yataksa will prove to the people that you don't need to sacrifice a human being in order to make it rain. Barbara, no. It's no good, Doctor. My mind's made up. This is the beginning of the end of the Sun God. What are you talking about? Oh, don't you see? If I could start the destruction of everything that's evil here, then everything that is good would survive when Cortez land. But you can't rewrite history. Not one line! Welcome to Time Streams. I'm Nathan. And I'm Juliet. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Doctor Who serial, The Aztecs. <laughs> so how have you been doing, Julia? You know, I've, I've been okay. Uh, I had a lot of fun at uh, Virtual Dragon Con this mm. past weekend. It was pretty cool. Yeah, what all did you get up to? Well, other than a lot of drinking on video calls, <laughs> which captured the Dragon Con experience in many ways. Sure. I saw a lot of panels on uh, the main channel. I did see some fan track channel panels. God, that was hard to mm. say. Mm -hmm. I even watched some classic panels. I'm a part of the Colonial Fleet, which is a Battlestar Galactica fan group. We did some Zoom calls because we couldn't do our normal parties and get-togethers. Mm -hmm. So it was fun. You know, I, I dressed up here at home. It was ridiculous because <laughs> I was just entertaining myself. And yeah, I, mean, I expected to see some pictures, but I don't think I saw much. I saw a lot of you posting like memories of previous costumes and stuff. There were there was a, a bit of a problem on Sunday because Saturday night uh, my dryer died oh, and right, yeah. took the outlet with it. So I almost set fire to the house without knowing it. That was cool. The dryer is still not fixed. The outlet's fixed, mm. but I get to try dryer repair myself. Mm. And there was D&D &D as well. So, uh, yeah, it was all in all, it, it felt like a very Dragon Con-y weekend without being in Atlanta <laughs> or surrounded by people. I did not get onto the Discord, mainly because I did not feel like having my phone blow up with notifications. Mm -hmm. I love people. No, I don't love people. I take that back. I despise people. <laughs> I like being around them at Dragon Con when I have alcohol in my system and I can take pictures of them or they want to take pictures of me in costume. It's fun. Mm -hmm. I can deal with that week-long panic attack, but I don't need that blowing up on my phone. Sure. <laughs> I get that. That's what I've been up to lately, just surviving, Dragon Conning, D&D. &D. This weekend's very full. I've got more D&D &D tomorrow, so yay! Well, that's nice. How about you? How has everything been? Well, huh. well, you're making me sad because of D&D talk because uh, I, I have my annual D&D game that lasts over Memorial Day weekend that I'm still lamenting as, uh, you know, because uh, it got canceled because of COVID where I have people that come from all over mm -hmm. the country and we game for four days straight. Aww. You know, that's like my annual sort of like party because, you know, dra I can't always afford to go to Dragon Con. So yeah, in fact, the very first time I did this, we did it Labor Day weekend as my con Consolation for not going to Dragon Con, but then we decided Aww. that Memorial Day weekend worked better, so uh, that's what we've been doing ever since. And this, I think, would have been the sixth year, I think. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing that we all look forward to, and you know, we continue the story. And like, I'm used to this as like my style because uh, you know my friend Sean. Mm -hmm. You know, he he was the first person I ever gamed with, and that used to be like our way. Is like we didn't do like regular weekly sessions. Like maybe once every two or 
three months, we'd do an all day. Like we never did four days. You know, we ever did, never did multiple together. Well, except one time on a beach trip. But we, we, <laughs> we, we would do like an all day gaming session. We wouldn't just do a few hours. It'd be like from like that one day from morning till night, we're doing nothing but gaming. So I'm used to this sort of like the binge gaming format. I like it in a lot of ways because it, it like you really get into it when you're doing it all day instead of for just like a four hour session or whatever. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, but what reminded me of it besides you talking about it is I finally got my Kickstarter that I kickstarted for like uh, modular terrain. I saw the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those so, are huge. Yeah. Yeah. They're huge. And so like, that was the thing like this year I was going to add, cause you know, I've been like drawing on like a wet erase mat thing, you know, for terrain and stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know, it looks awful, um, but you know, it, <laughs> but uh, you know, and it's only like the mat is only so big. So it's like, if you want to have anything like big or epic or whatever, you've got to like pretend or, you know, it's, it's not so good when you're trying to actually work out like distances and things and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I was going to build like a big set. And of course it came in late. It also came in late because of COVID. So, I mean, we weren't mm. going to have it even if we had done the, done, done our, what I call counter con <laughs> it was it was yeah. my counter to Dragon Con the first year we did it, and so yeah, it's just, it's, I've just been lamenting the gaming because I don't have a group here, so I, I actually have people that come from all over and we game together. So our group is kind of scattered now that our DM moved to East Tennessee and Knoxville, where there's currently a tiger on the loose. Mm. But we use Roll Twenty and Discord because we yeah. don't, we haven't met in person. We started this last year, be- well before the pandemic, and it's easier that way because he has a young child. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult for us all to get together at one person's house but roll 20 in discord yeah no 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 i mean yeah people have talked to me about that but i'm i'm a little worried like we kind of talked about it before about engagement with online um you know and, and whether or not we you know have much engagement uh with it and as it is like the group is nine people mm-hmm. so i find that a lot easier when everybody's there and the way that i work is sometimes i'll even split two groups of people up and we can like simultaneously game and stuff and so it's like i like having the huge group but i think that'd be much harder to manage online probably so yeah there's that and then of course there's virtual dragon con oh my gosh my friends were so excited when you name dropped me <laughs> yeah, they were yeah. like messaging oh, me all over the place yeah i can't remember like which one was that i think it was the like the friday kill zone panel where we <laughs> talked about all the shows that were put on friday to die <laughs> it might have been because <laughs> <laughs> yeah you texted me like right, right after a panel and you were like oh my god my friends you name dropped me and it's like i name dropped you several times so your friends apparently only watched one of my panels but it's fine hey i still watched one and <laughs> they didn't even right. know who were at the time <laughs> that's right yeah i probably did like eight or nine panels all told i mean but they were spread out it wasn't all over the weekend because a lot of them were pre-recorded mm-hmm. so even like three weeks before dragon con i started doing panels so i think i only did like three on the weekend itself and the other like four or five were done previously and were pre-recorded and they just like dropped them during the con hey it worked out though i mean a lot of those pre-recorded panels were that's pretty much all i watched but they were mm-hmm. still not badly done dragon con did really well this year yeah no i mean i mean the thing was i just felt empty because <laughs> it's like i'm like okay i did my panel and that was exciting and now i have nothing 
you know, whereas in Dragon Con, the panel, you know, if I do a panel, the panel's over and then I can go like watch cosplayers or go meet up with somebody or, you know, or go see a celebrity or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff to do. But, you know, it's like, oh, I have to go grocery shopping now because I'm still at home. Okay. Um, video call drinking was the whole was the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the timing like, that, that was the problem is like I didn't have the weekend to myself also. So True. it was kind of like it was a normal weekend for me, except I, you know, stole an hour here or there for a panel. So, you know, it's kind of oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> It was still, I mean, it was still good that they did something. And like you say, it was very high quality and it was good to to have something there in that weekend. And since I wouldn't have been able to go to Dragon Con this year, if they had had it anyway, this is actually just a bonus for me. Very true. You still have to do panels. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, so now we're back to the mundane grind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hey, we get to talk about Doctor Who. So yay. Woo! So yeah, the background on this one is that because they were having trouble getting scripts and, you know, getting them polished up in time, they were asking writers that already worked for them to do another one. So like Terry Nation, who had done the Daleks, he did the Keys of Meredith, which we talked about last time. And John Lucarotti, who had done Marco Polo, they asked him to come back and he did the Aztecs because he had lived in Mexico for a while and he had at least some knowledge of, you know, the Aztecs and whatnot. So he thought, okay, this would be a good setting. Did you know anything, you know, before the story, other than the name, of course, because everybody's heard, you know, of the Aztecs, but did you know anything about the Aztecs before this? Yes, not nearly as much as Barbara, obviously. Right. <laughs> I knew some of the names of the gods. I, I knew that, you know, sacrifice, human sacrifice was a big part of their thing, mm-hmm. and that people volunteered and vied for, to be the sacrifices, mm-hmm. and such like that. You know, the basic Aztec stuff that you get to learn in school and just through reading. I'm not sure school ever talked about the Aztecs when I was again i i think that most of what i learned i learned from this episode because really? uh, well, yeah, i don't you watch it when you were younger though uh, i did i did i watched it when i was probably like seven or eight but yeah i, I sort of remember like school like didn't really talk all i'm sure we mentioned them like we mentioned the maya and the incas and the aztecs but i don't think we ever went into any real detail but then again it was south carolina so you know <laughs> we didn't learn a lot in south carolina that i'm sure the rest of the country did so anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't say much. I went to public school in Tennessee for a good portion. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But Tennessee is still like way better than like South Carolina, Mississippi, or Alabama. Okay. <laughs> They're like always at the bottom of any rankings of like education. <laughs> so anyway, like we used to say, thank God for Alabama and South Carolina, because every once in a while they'd be 50th. You know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wow. So anyway, so do you know about the uh, about the legend of this doesn't have direct bearing on the story. The reason I bring it up. Do you know about the legend of uh, Quetzalcoatl? Vaguely. Okay. So there was this idea that Quetzalcoatl, which was was one of their gods, would come back one day and he would be like a white skinned person and wearing black. And so when Cortez actually landed uh, in Mexico in 1519 and they thought that he was Quetzalcoatl returned because he was a white skinned man with a beard and he wore black and so that's kind of why the spanish were allowed to get as far as they did and you know why everything happened is because they weren't sure if this person was a god which is kind of mirrored by the idea of barbara because i listened to another uh podcast of people who are a bit younger uh than we are who are watching doctor who for the first time and their thing was just like oh well i guess because she's white they just assume that she's a god like the writers must have been so racist and i'm like no this is actual history (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Like they actually had a legend about their gods appearing white skinned. And so like that, that wasn't like a thing of just, oh, well, of course, because they're like, you know, European, they're going to be, you know, <laughs> the leaders kind of thing. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out before we get into this. No worries. So uh, episode one is the Temple of Evil. I love the titles, man. <laughs> Doctor Who titles are always the best. They really are. So, uh, yeah, we start out, and they're in a tomb. The TARDIS arrives in a tomb. There's uh, the... Oh, no, no. We start out with that terrible shot from the end of the last episode. Well, yeah, but I mean, I usually... Yeah, okay, yes. I'm sorry. That terrible miniature needs to be mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, so they they arrive in a tomb. You know, the body is there. It's covered in like jewelry, and there's like a like a looks like like a jade face mask or something. I don't know if jade was the right material, but it's some sort of you know uh, stone looking face mask covering it and everything. And Barbara and Susan go out, and that's where Barbara mentions that you know the Aztecs was one of her specializations at school, which is a little unusual for a high school teacher, but okay. I thought that was <laughs> awesome. Like she immediately knew. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, um, people mention that that's, like, super unusual, because usually, like, a, like, a high school history teacher, like, doesn't specialize, and that probably means she's got a master's or a PhD to do that, so, yeah. Yeah, because she's like, oh, yeah, this is probably about 1430, because this jewelry is from the early period, and it's like, that's more than a little, like... (laughs) You know, just just a basic knowledge. That's like really hardcore. And she starts putting it on. Yeah, I know. That seems a little <laughs> weird to me. Well, you know, women, they see jewelry, they just start trying it on, right? Uh, you can't see the look I'm currently giving the Zoom call right now. <laughs> Well, Susan's fingering it, too. I don't think she actually puts anything on, but Susan's, like, picking stuff up and, like, looking at it. And but stuff, Barbara so. has studied this. She knows about this. They're in a TARDIS. They've been traveling through time. Why, when you have obviously entered a tomb, would you start putting on the jewelry? Ah. <laughs> uh... Oh, and then Susan's like, oh, look, cartoons. Susan, <laughs> did you really just say that? <laughs> You are better traveled than that. I know she is. (laughs) Is it because she calls it a a cartoon even though it doesn't move? Well, it's a cartoon and then she says that they even have like voice bubbles or or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, it's just the fact that she calls, you know, the hieroglyphics or the writing on the walls cartoons. It's not because they don't move or anything. It's just. Oh, God. Because that was the other thing. She's calling it pictures. (laughs) That's the other thing that annoyed me from this other podcast I listened to is they they, they had a big problem with that because they're like, cartoons move. And I'm like, no, because people used to call comic books or comic strips cartoon strips. So, I mean, she's basically saying it looks like a comic. That's what I was thinking. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, okay, yeah. Yeah, I know. She... (laughs) She knows it's, she should know better than that. But but they do like have like look it looks like little word bubbles coming out of their mouths. So. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Oh yeah. So yeah, and Barbara's talking about like she starts talking about like you can tell she's kind of passionate about this, you know, Aztecs because she talks about how like, you know, they, they had two sides to their civilization and that they, you know, were were very advanced in some ways. And so, you know, the tragedy is that like the, the bad parts and the good parts were all destroyed equally, you know, kind of putting out there what the story is going to be about but yeah and then when susan's touching the cartoons quote unquote she the the wall moves it like pushes up where like the wall swings up 
because we did side we did sideways walls in the last episode. <laughs> now we have to do other walls that move other directions now. I guess. So yeah, it's something that has like some sort of a counterweight system to it somewhere in the walls or something because like you can push it up and the wall will actually stay swung up for, you know, several seconds, but then, you know, once you go in it comes back down. And of course, nobody thinks about the consequences of any of this. And Barbara's just like, "Oh, I'm going to go see what's in this other room. And she just goes out. And Susan's like, yeah, I'll get the others. And Susan goes the other way. And so then, like, the wall swings back shut. And so at this point, you would think, okay, they're going to figure out, oh, we better not leave this thing again. Because when the other people come out of the TARDIS, they'll see the wall closed back and be like, oh, this is bad. Maybe we should leave this open. But no, they don't. Nope. (laughs) They don't. Nope, nope. Uh, but meanwhile, while Susan's going to get in and the doctor, like, uh, Barbara's just walking around this room, dum-dee-dum-dum, and this guy shows up, and he's like, whoa, how did you get here? You're desecrating, like, the sacred place that's devoted to the high priest Yataxa. Uh, you have to be punished. But then he sees the bracelet on her arm, and he looks, like, shocked, but then, and then we cut to inside the tomb. But, but you, you forgot to mention the most awkward group photo I've ever seen outside of Dragon Con. <laughs> Like, the, he orders the warriors to go and take her before he decides that, you know, something else is going on. Right. And so they go and they stand on either side of her and Barbara has this terrified look on her face. And it looks like a bunch of, like, folks in full cosplay <laughs> posing with some unknowing normal person right in the center. <laughs> It's just the best thing I've ever seen. Oh, that is such a great, this is such a great description of that shot because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but you're right, they do hang on it a bit too long because they want the camera to zoom in on the bracelet on her arm. It, it is a little awkwardly long. Right. So yeah, so then we, we cut back to inside the tomb and the doctor's mad that Barbara went off, uh, you know, and quite rightly, you know, after all the trouble they've been in in previous stories. Oh, like, I don't even want to hear from the man who goes off on his own when Whenever possible and smokes weird, you know, alien plant weed. Mm. Yeah, you'd think he would have found something in the garden to smoke, but he didn't. But I was very surprised. <laughs> so yeah, but that, this is where they notice that the door is shut. So it's like, yeah, you should notice that, oh, if Barbara went through and then it's shut, maybe we should worry about this. But no, they don't. No, in fact, uh, they go out through the door and then Ian's like, oh my gosh, we have to find Barbara. Oh, look at that view. I've never seen a man more distracted. He's like, oh, squirrel. <laughs> I mean, at worst, they should have left, like, Susan behind in the room or something and been like, hey, Susan, when we tap on the wall, open it up for us. Or something. You, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, something. There's a bunch of different, like, jewels, masks, jewelry. I'm sure you got a sh- extra shoe in the TARDIS that you could have wedged the door open with. Well, that's true, too. Oh, but we don't know how. I mean, it looks pretty weightless, but, I mean, it's got to have some weight to it. I don't know. So, yeah, they're looking at the... There's this big, elaborate, painted backdrop, you know, that they're kind of staring at. And the one thing I will say, so even though... And, and the designer actually talks about this, the one of the DVD extras. Even though the backdrop, it had clearly been sort of mangled in storage... And and you can actually see some like creases in it, which shouldn't be there. I think this is the first time we actually get like really good scope in Doctor Who, where it looks like they're in a much bigger space than they really are. Maybe it's because I was watching it on my computer, mm. but I didn't even notice any creases. I actually thought it looked oh, good. pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, well, that's the thing. I think it does depend on like, I have a 60 inch TV that I'm watching it a on. Lot. So. Like that's, that's like twice the size of the TV in my living room. <laughs> 
So you can see a lot of detail. Just a bit. And of course, it's been digitally cleaned up and stuff oh, too. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like, like a lot of those bad things that you wouldn't have never noticed on the television, like if it was like over air back in the day, like DVD releases, like really make that stuff pop out. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I agree with you. Like when I saw it in the past, I always was like, wow, this looks really good, you know? And it's only like after the DVD release that I'm like, okay, I can see some problems. But yeah, but they, they do a nice job of giving scale here. Like it looks like they're looking out over a city you know where mm-hmm. they're really high up but yeah then the doctor sees the uh the altar you know he says something about like i don't want to be carved up by some aztec priest because you know they're talking about how they gotta find barbara quickly right and then but then the door shuts while they're talking and the doctor realizes like yeah this can only be open from the other side a little late now right <laughs> Uh, so the guy who saw Barbara earlier, he comes back in, he starts calling them like the servants of Yataxa. But but Susan's actually the one that clues into the fact, because he says something about, you know, the one who wears the bracelet. And she's like, oh, they must be talking about Barbara because, you know, she grabbed a bracelet. Well, you know, Barbara is British, you know, I'll say that. And they're they're pretty much known for taking like people's <laughs> cultural treasures and, and taking them, you know. So maybe that's it. Maybe it was more of a commentary on... Uh... <laughs> Burn. Colonialism. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, and so the, while they're going off with these people, like, like, and then the, and the older guy, his name is Ot- Otlock. Oh, and you didn't mention the hats that these okay. guys are wearing. That's what I have you here for, Juliet. Yes, yes. Can, have some have some fashion talk. Yes, I didn't mean to ever get into that role, but I can't help it when it's presented like this. You're a cosplayer. You can't tell me that you don't like look at design and like clothing and stuff and think about like how my wife does that too. Like every like every piece of clothing she sees on television, she analyzes. It just it happens, especially when it looks like a weird cone with fringe, like a lampshade. <laughs> Which looks like what they're wearing. Very tall conical lampshades. The, they have fringe on them. Now, I, I haven't done any research on my own, but my understanding is these are accurate I, costumes. One of my other like... questions was, is, are these accurate? And I have another comment on that later on, and I will bring it up when it comes up. Okay. But yeah, so I mean, yes, the costumes do look kind of crazy, but this is, I know at least the warrior, like the headdresses they wear, those are, those I know from my own knowledge, that the because I've seen drawings mm-hmm. of like Aztec warriors and like the eagle like looking one and the jaguar looking one like those are the jaguar and i'm not gonna bring them up yet (laughs) okay but yeah because other people have questioned that because uh you know they're more used to seeing depictions of native americans from north america and like oh don't they're wearing too many clothes and stuff like that like shouldn't they be wearing less and it's like no 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 aztecs you know actually did wear like these things Mm -hmm. so yeah they're they're let off and as they're let off, they see this guy with kind of like a hunch. The doctors, and he's got this, um, he's got this weird, crazy headdress on with like, uh, it's like a band around his forehead and like two poles that stick up at like an X, <laughs> with like like a feather on top of each pole. And then like he's got this sort of paint across his mouth, like all the way around his head in a band. And uh, the doctor says to Ian, like, do you know who that is? And Ian says he looks like the local butcher. And the doctor says exactly. Like Susan actually. Starts and makes a noise yeah. when she sees him. I couldn't stop staring at that headdress. <laughs> Those feathers moved every time that he even opened his mouth. He had mm. like the weirdest, I don't know. I don't know the expression on his face. 
Like, okay, here's my thing. I was wondering if they were historically accurate, like that particular one especially. And if it is, maybe it just looks really weird because it's on an old white dude. <laughs> it could be. It's not on the, the face that it was the, ang- the you know, the, the typical face that I would expect to see. It's on a very obviously a whole bunch of them white dudes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so they obviously did not have any, I mean, because, well, first of all, there are no Aztecs anymore, but there there are a lot of people descended from, you know, because the Spanish intermarried with the Aztecs, and so there's, you know, a lot of people in Mexico that have, in you know, ancestry mm-hmm. into the Aztecs. But yeah, I mean, in England, they did not have, and this one, I kind of give them a pass in a way that I don't really with the Asian actors, because they clearly did have a lot of Asian actors available they didn't choose to use in Marco Polo. I don't think there are a lot of people of Mexico you know mexican people living in the uk so you know they kind of had to go with whatever they had so but it just looked wrong it looked (laughs) weird i had a hard time getting over the bad dude and his the way he looked i'm sorry yeah i couldn't decide whether he needed to have a fluffy white cat to be stroking or if he would have made a great romulan possibly both Well, well, well. I, I will say this: He's doing a very, very theatrical performance. Oh yeah, there he was like, selling it. Yeah, no, I mean, like he he is clearly coming from a Shakespearean background, and he is chewing all the scenery to the best of his ability, which is good. I mean, he's good at what he does, but it is kind of fun because, like, well, I think this episode is actually kind of written in a way to sort of emulate a Shakespearean tragedy. You know, some of the other actors they're not doing like the Shakespearean, like the theatrical, like you know, performance as much. Whereas, yeah, John Ringham, who plays Clotoxel, <laughs> it's a hard. A lot of these names are a little bit hard. He, he's just like, oh yeah, I'm going for it. Oh, he did. <laughs> like, <laughs> so he like yeah I, I, he is, into it. He, he's like when you think of somebody as wonderfully villainous that's this guy oh yeah he is he knows he's a villain the character even knows that he's like uh, he doesn't think of himself as evil but he knows like this is the problem with the character because everything he says for the most part is correct as far as you know she is a false goddess and so normally our sympathies would be with a character like that but he's he, but he knows sacrifice is not like the reason why these, he uses it because it's how he gets power. Oh yeah. No, this, this man runs around with carrying a stone knife at nearly all times. I swear he right. always got one in his hand, ready to sacrifice a person around the corner or something. Right. But I never get the impression that he actually believes the religion. No. He's doing this just because he, know, like he's the high priest of sacrifice. If sacrifice is gone, then he's got nothing and he's going to hold on to that power that he's got. And that is his whole uh, motivation in this story. Blood for the rain God. Yep. I blame the hat. It's the hat. <laughs> it's constricting his brain. <laughs> and those feathers, man, who who would not eventually just lose it with those feathers? Right out of the edges of your vision. You know, that's one of the interesting things about the Aztecs, though, just getting a little outside of what we were talking about, is like, you know, we sort of talked about there's a sort of dichotomy. They were a Stone Age culture that because they didn't use metal in anything. Like, it was all, like, well, they mean, they used metal for jewelry, but they didn't have, like, copper or iron or any of that stuff. They didn't use it for weapons, for tools, for building. You know, they didn't use any of that. So they, it was all, like, stone. Like, that was, like, the height of their technology. But, you know, and they knew 
knew astronomy. They could predict the movements of all the stars and everything else. So they got like super advanced stuff in one way and then like sort of like really low tech in the other. So a lot of their decorations and stuff, because they didn't do a lot of metalworking, they did do a little bit with gold. And of course, that's why the Spanish wanted I was about to say because those pieces definitely had to have some metal, not to mention mm -hmm. the eagle. Head. Right. But gold's a lot easier to work. It's much more than, malleable. Like yeah. iron than copper or copper or any of that stuff. So like, you know, all the things that like, mo you know, most civilizations that get to a certain point, they went on to metal for tools and everything else. And the Aztecs just didn't for whatever reason. So they had gold. They, they had some decorative metal, but they didn't use tools or even weapons. Their weapons, like the, like the wooden weapons they were using mm -hmm. were authentic. Like the Aztecs used wooden weapons with maybe some stone ends or stone bits or whatever. Right. So so it's very interesting, like how their, how their culture is. And so a lot of their decoration, though, then was like using like natural stuff, like either like plants or feathers or, you know, things of that nature. So that's why I brought that up is just that they didn't, they didn't have the elaborate jewelry that other cultures have, but they did have, you know, gold was like the one thing that they worked with as far as like metal. Look at Doctor Who being educational. Right. <laughs> it's subtly educational too. We did not have like the moments, you know, in a lot of the stories that we've had of, oh, by the way, do you know why the soup isn't boiling? It's because we're high up in altitude. You know, it's just like, seems like a weird thing to talk about suddenly. So then Otlock and Platoxel are talking to each other and they talk about how they've been in a drought, but it's supposed to rain. That's the one thing though that I'm kind of like calling shenanigans on, even though I know they could predict like solar eclipses and stuff like that. How in the world do you predict to the hour when it's going to rain? I have no idea. Maybe they knew something we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, like, the people had been kind of, like, agitating that the gods had been against them and stuff like that. And so, like, hey, we're going to introduce that this high priest has been reincarnated to the people, you know, during the ceremony. And then they're going to have, you know, the sacrifice. And, you know, Otlock does mention that even at this point, before Barbara said anything, that he's like, the rain will come without sacrifice. And Kutoxel's like, hey, that's not right. You know, like, do you honor a religion and everything? And Otlock kind of backs down. So Yeah. Which is actually an interesting point because like there had to have been people you know because even though like these sort of like look at Aztecs and it's like oh yeah they were into sacrifice and everything there had to be some people who like questioned it right oh you, you know, know like, there they couldn't have been like everybody was just like oh yeah this is great I kind of like that I like that they had like somebody there who was like especially being the more knowledgeable guy who knew a lot about you know whatever they knew about science and whatnot be like a guy's kind of like yeah I don't think this is necessary Susan Ian and the doctor are waiting in a place and then they're finally let out to where Barbara is where they've like even like set up like this almost like throne looking thing for her to sit on. So this is the second arc where they have found Barbara and she's already being treated like a queen in full regalia. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's because the people realize like how awesome she is. And so Finally. they're just like, right. <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, you deserve to be treated this way. But yeah, so she's got like this sort of like gold helmet on and she's wearing this very elaborate sort of dress with a cape on it. It's covered in feathers. Mm -hmm. And um, it's got this sort of like gold necklace around her neck that then actually extends with these like little wires from the necklace all around to the dress itself and there's like a medallion like sort of you know like in the center of the front of it of the uh, of the feathered serpent you know uh which is uh quetzalcoatl in, in aztec mythology on it and i know all of these details because my wife cosplayed as this costume and i was there for all of the blood sweat and tears <laughs> 
that's my life created this thing it was spot on from that photo yeah yeah no i mean we we found as many photos as we could so she could get as many views as she could of the front and the back and everything else you know i mean there's not a lot in very good detail the medallion was the hardest part is figuring out what in the world that was because in a lot of photos it looks like a crab and we're like why in the world is it a crab because it's you know it's it's out of focus and it's you know turned to the side or whatever like why is there a crab in this thing and it was a long time before we finally found a picture was like oh it's the feathered serpent of course (laughs) you know that makes sense so yeah she she made the medallion she made the whole thing one best in show at chicago tardis i should hope so 2017 i think because it's gorgeous yeah yeah it's a very good very good costume but yeah and so then barbara like there's all these attendants around her she dismisses them so that they can talk and she explains that yeah because she was wearing that bracelet and she could have only gotten it from inside the tomb they assume that she's a reincarnation of this high priest who died and so because of that they're treating her this way the doctor's like okay this is great just make sure you keep convincing them because that's the thing that's going to keep us alive because if they think that you've lied to them this is going to get really bad oh there was one absolutely hilarious moment in all that conversation where ian pronounces a name and they all correct him on pronunciation (laughs) i don't know why but that just cracked me up well i mean yeah it's good. I mean, it's good because we're so used to them kind of like stumbling over their words a little bit because they didn't like to cut for there to actually be like, this is actually a scripted him stumbling over his words because the names are very unusual. People who are used to speaking English. Uh, then Otlock and Klotox will come in. They introduce themselves to her and they say like, hey, will you come out during the rain ceremony so that we can introduce you to the people? And Barbara agrees. Oh, she falls right into the, the mannerism of the speech. Oh, yeah. Yes. she is she is very regal in her in her responses you know i straight ahead like you know you're all beneath me kind of thing and just like making pronouncements yeah she's she's very good at this otlock says your servants can go you know visit with the people and barbara says okay uh susan she calls her a handmaid and my handmaiden will stay but the doctor and ian can go but then clitoxel he's already think like i get the impression that he is not happy about this even before all the stuff that happened happens later because he's worried about his power being taken away by somebody you know higher up you know and so like with barbara being there she's now this you know goddess type character and so it's kind of like well you know this is not good this can undermine me and so he's already setting up this idea of well i mean if we're serving ataxa why does she need all these other people he's like this warrior talking about ian he should be leading our army Mm-hmm. And so the doctor starts protesting, but Ian kind of realizing that it will seem kind of fishy if he doesn't like, you know, because it should be an honor. And so he's like, oh, sure. Yeah, no, I'll I'll do this because, <laughs> you know, the Ataxo would not resist giving me this honor. And so like they take him away. And then they call the doctor an old man and say that he should go yeah. into the old people's garden. Right. <laughs> Which apparently is Although, where you're banished to as soon as you turn 52. Well, I know. I was about to say like what they call old, like we wouldn't really consider that terribly old i mean it's kind of nice you know like you can retire at 52 you know and stop worrying about stuff so but yeah the doctor is just like he just does not like the idea of this garden because he's like oh my god these people must be so bored Mm -hmm. he's not wrong (laughs) 
Right. All right. So yeah. So um, they take Ixto away. We or Ian away, and we find out that there's already a leader for the you know for the army. And he's called Ixta. He's you know we cut to him. He's training with one of those wooden club things that they they have like sort of like serrated spikes on the side that I'm guessing are like little stone wedges or something that are sharpened. But it's basically like a wooden club, and he's just sort of practicing you know attacking with it. Clitoxel uh, and Ian come in, and Clitoxel tells Ixta that Ian is a servant of Yataxa, and Ixta shows off a little bit and Clitoxel's talking up Ixta to Ian talking about how he has courage skill and intelligence and he's taken many prisoners on the battlefield because you know to the Aztecs prisoners meant more sacrifices right. so yeah they the Ixta does this whole thing with another guy where they sort of practice oh I've and... done better stage combat than what I saw right there it was bad <laughs> yeah well well okay this I learned uh recently so the problem with the four, one of the problems with the fighting in this one was because they had to make these things out of wood and they were like, they were so weak, they kept breaking. Oh. And so they had to make the fighting even less, you know, like intense than they normally would, which isn't much for, you know, television in those days, just because, and it even happens. And even in this mock fight, even with them trying to like hold back, Ixta's club breaks during the fight and he has to just suddenly grab something and start using that instead that wasn't scripted that was just because the club oh wow <laughs> yeah so yeah they had to they had to like kind of really like slow things down so you're right it doesn't look all that great and so then Kotoxel tells Ixta that Ian will stay and Ixta's like whoa only the commander sleeps here and Kotoxel's like yep and then he walks off. Oh, by the way, he looks like he wa- he's like ready to eat some hearts. That dude looks like he will carve people up with his stone knife and eat their hearts, you know, just for breakfast. Yes. Yeah, like, and Ixta is so, like, conceited. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, six other warriors have been here, you know, before, but I, you know, only I remain kind of thing. And so. Oh, yeah, no, it's bad. And he's like, yeah, and soon I'll become even more, you know, awesome because people will say, I'm the one who killed the chosen warrior of Yataxa. It's like male posturing in high school locker rooms. <laughs> right. I say that as if I've ever been into a lock, the dude's locker room in high school. <laughs> I don't know, have you? <laughs> no, I was the band geek. I think I was okay. terrified. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure some women have been in the men's locker room. I have no doubt. <laughs> So, yeah, um, Ixta tells Ian then that, you know, since he's a candidate for leading the army, that he gets to share in the glory of they get to bring the human sacrifice to the altar for the ceremony. Woo! Yeah. And so, yeah, this is when the doctor comes to the quote-unquote Garden of Peace, um, (laughs) learns about that. You know, the doctor, like I said, the doctor is instantly like, oh my god, like, you know, these people, these poor people. But then he he sees this woman and he goes straight to her. Oh yeah, no, I'm pretty sure he had a crush on her. (laughs) Her name is Kameka, and they flirt. They they so flirt. (laughs) It's very cute. And uh, as part of their conversation, she reveals that she knew the man who designed the temple and that he made the garden as, uh, you know, as sort of like an act of love for the people that they get to, you know, have this nice space also next to it. And uh, she says, like, he watches over it constantly. And so the doctor thinks that, oh, is he working as a gardener now? And she's like, no, he's dead. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of watches It's his spirit. Right, exactly. And the doctor's like, oh, man, I really wish I could learn some more about the temple. 
and she's like, oh, well, his son is still alive. And so she's like, I could set up a meeting between you and him. The doctor is like, okay. But then Ian walks up. Oh, the helmet. And now he's wearing, yes, he's wearing like uh, the sort of like, because you know, the Aztecs, it's not like elaborate. It looks like sort of like a sort of padded armor, basically, is all they wear for the warriors. But he's got this very elaborate eagle helmet. He's going to put an sort of eye out head. with that thing. It's like fairy wings. At DragonCon, dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very big. Putting <laughs> it mildly. Yeah, the, those feathers stick out very far in every direction. I mean, I guess technically, if it was made out of gold, uh, you know, if it had been like Aztec, that would have been relatively soft, I would imagine. So hopefully, you wouldn't really put an eye out, but you'd be likely. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, Ian tells the doctor, like, uh, they're going to make me take part in the sacrifice. And the doctor's like, don't, you know, if that's what they're making you do, then just do it. Just do not interfere, right. you know. Then we cut to Susan and Barbara. They're just lounging around loving being, like, pampered. And the doctor comes in and he tells Barbara that there's going to be a sacrifice at this rain ceremony and, you know, that she shouldn't interfere with it. And she's like, well, I can't just sit by and watch. Uh, you kind of have to. Right. And the doctor's like, well, Ian agrees with me, which isn't really true because Ian didn't really say anything. The doctor just told him not to interfere. But he's trying to convince Barbara. And she's like, well, they've made me a goddess and I forbid it. Like, this is all going to her head at this point. I mean, you got to give her a little bit of leeway. She hasn't been traveling in time nearly as long as the doctor has. She doesn't think right. immediately about the consequences of changing the past. Mm-hmm. And she just really wants to believe the good in people. She really does. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all true. And I mean, God, I mean, I, I couldn't say how I'd react to that because I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want them to commit sacrifices, you know, in front of me. But so her her whole belief, well, this is the one real problem with this, because she's basically saying if I could end the sacrifices, they're not going to be wiped out when Cortez comes. Right. And I'm like, yeah, okay. What the Spanish wanted was gold. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and they would still have gold even if they weren't doing sacrifices. So I don't think, it, yeah, things probably, they might not have been as bad. Maybe they would have, you know, been able to work out something. But like, it's not like other cultures fared all that better when the Spanish showed up. So I don't know. I just feel like her belief that, oh, well, it'll all be good if they don't commit sacrifices and the Aztec civilization can live on is very naive. It is. But, you know, she's still new to this and yeah no, no I, I understand that but yeah here's the line that fans get all worked up over okay the doctor tells her you can't change history not one line and there are a lot of people who interpret that as the doctor says you can't change history so how is it that in other stories the doctor you know, like history can be changed and while I realize that the people writing this that was sort of their like thinking is that this line means that because they didn't want like you know when this show was supposed to be educational it was like well yeah we don't want them changing history because we want the kids to learn something from this show and so if we have them changing history they'll be all confused so you know that was sort of their intent but you can take that line differently as the doctor telling Barbara you can't change history like this is a really bad idea for numerous reasons you know not it's impossible to do it's just you can't 
you know, like it's really bad. I, I took it know? in a couple of different ways. First off, this is the first doctor. I mean, right. by the time we get around to later doctors, they're a little bit more free with their messing with time. Right. But also, I kind of took it as this weird view that maybe he has of time. Like you can try to change it, but it's gonna, ch- it's not gonna happen. The efforts that you're going to make are going to backfire, and history, as you know, it will still happen. Yeah. So you can't change well, it. Well, I mean, and in this particular situation, he probably is right, and that might also be what he's saying is look because you're trying to change a whole society just by yourself and you're not going to be able to do it and he's just trying to get her to stop because it's going to put them in danger and she's not going to achieve it which is kind of spoiler what happens mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, so there's a lot of reasons I mean the other reason like the other thing that I sometimes think is he might be trying to convince her not to even though he knows it is possible just because he's afraid she might succeed and he's afraid of the consequences of that and maybe he's just outright lying right there and so that's another possibility too but you know there's all sorts of ways to interpret this i don't think it has to be that he's saying like history it's impossible to change history but yeah but barbara's just like because he's like barbara believe me like you can't do this and she's like not barbara taxa and so she's really getting into this whole thing of like well if they're gonna make me a god i'm gonna exercise the power of a god yeah so so again we're getting into that idea of hubris it's the whole greek tragedy shakespearean tragedy kind of thing of somebody working against fate or destiny or whatever you know and and that there's going to be a backlash for that so i really like how this is set up you know even from like a literary quality because it just feels like it's very much in the mold of those classic sort of you know stories yeah so the soldiers come and escort barbara to the altar and the victim's already there and the oh, doctors no we got to mention another weird thing okay so as in her escort group there is one dude who has a staff and yeah. i'm assuming it's meant to be a long serpent that's coiled around yes. it but it is yes. very obviously a stuffed animal yes i mean it's one of those fuzzy snakes it's, it's all a fuzzy it snake. is, and it dangles around it, and I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> there is a fuzzy snake. Yes, I noticed it too. Okay, good. And... It's not just me. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it too. I didn't think it really needed to be mentioned. But oh. It's fine. <laughs> Oh no, it had to be mentioned. It's funny because on the commentary, um, Carol Ann Ford, who plays Susan, like starts talking about it too. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what is that? Is that supposed to be a snake? She mentioned it. Yeah, she did. She did. But the, but the doctor's holding Susan back. Like, he, they're inside the building, like, out of the way, because he knows what's coming, and he doesn't want her to even be aware of it. So Otlock ha- presents Barbara to the people. There's lots of cheering. And then Clitoxel goes to sacrifice the victim, but he gives some sort of, like, a speech of, like, you know, accept this sacrifice or whatever. And so then Susan realizes what's about to happen, and she's like, no! Uh, then Barbara, that kind of, like, you know, because Barbara's been kind of on the fence, I think, on this until Susan screams and mm-hmm. then she's like stop you know uh, no more blood will be spilt and the victim is just like how dare you dishonor me and so then he jumps off the balcony so he still dies yeah he's just ready to go right well i mean that's the thing i mean these people have been sort of convinced their whole lives that this is like this is like great you know you get to meet the gods and everything else you know like you're you're helping your people and so and then like almost within like five seconds of the guy jumping over the balcony it starts to rain Mm. That was some fantastic timing. Right. And Clitoxel's like, see, with death came rain. And Barbara's like, well, you didn't sacrifice him. But then he switches to, well, Susan's going to be punished because she called out during the ceremony and that breaks the law. And 
Barbara says, well, she didn't know the law, so she should be taught it. And so Otlock says that he'll take her to a seminary. And the real reason for this is that just like the doctor got his two weeks of vacation, William Hartnell got his two weeks of vacation, the last story, but they just, they pre-filmed like two very short inserts of Susan to stick into the next two episodes. I wondered. they let her go on so she can have her two weeks of vacation. Okay, because I noted that she hadn't been in it very much in one of my next episode commentaries. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's not, she wasn't actually present for the second or third episode at all, but they just pre-filmed okay. like two, you know, one scene each for each of those episodes. You know, after everybody goes away, Katoxel does his like audience monologue. <laughs> Again, it's a very stagey thing where he looks right at the ca- camera and he's like, she is a false goddess and I will destroy her. For the record, I'm going to have to put on after we're done recording and watch The Road to El Dorado. Mm. Because that is exactly what I felt I was watching with this episode. I was like, <laughs> wow, I, I swear those animators and writers must have been fans of this arc because it's it's just like dead on. Yeah. yeah. Only dude in the cartoon has the band painted across his eyes instead of across his mouth. Mm-hmm. But no, he was exactly like the dude. Yeah. You know, I've never actually seen that cartoon. You've never seen The Road to El Dorado? No. Oh, please enjoy it just so I can, okay. I don't know if you're going to enjoy it or not. I mean, you don't like Avatar The Last Airbender. I like it just fine. <laughs> but give it a shot. I think you might enjoy it. It's a DreamWorks okay, cartoon. Okay, sure. No, I've heard the name before. I just, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of cartoons that I missed, you know, between like 95 and like 2010, you know, because like once my, once my uh, daughter started getting up to an age, you know, we started watching cart, you know, like all the new cartoon movies and stuff. But, you know, if you watch it, I'd be curious to know how much you're thinking of these episodes when you see it. Yeah, no, I I will definitely think that (laughs) if I watch it. But yeah, now we go on to the Warriors of Death. See the names, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doctor Who loves anything. Like, title Blank of Death is, like, (laughs) one of the most popular, like, Doctor Who titles. You know, the doctor's mad at Barbara because she didn't listen to him. And he brings up the fact, like, look, this is their tradition. It's their religion. This guy wanted to be sacrificed. You saw what happened when he stopped him. Like, he jumped off anyway. And talks about the fact that they're all in danger now because of it. Because now Katoxel's, like, clearly, like, very suspicious. Barbara hasn't been traveling like the doctor. I know. But then she, he is so savage because she says, I just wasn't thinking. And he's like, that's just it. You didn't think. And it's just like, man. Man, you are like tearing into her. Mm-hmm. And so basically he's like, what you need to do is now, since the Clitoxel is clearly against you, you have to make Otlock like believe more in you. You know, like the worst Clitoxel gets, the more Otlock's got to be convinced because otherwise we are in trouble. And then Clitoxel comes in and he sends the doctor away and he starts questioning Barbara about Aztec religion. The thing he asks her, he, she knows. And she's like, well, it should really be Otlock asking these questions because he's the high priest of knowledge and so he says okay fine I'll send him to question you and he tells her that Ixta is going to fight Ian to see who will command the army and then we've got Ixta showing off again and you know Ian's basically like well you know real enemies can hit back because he's just like throwing a spear at a target Mm. and Ian's like you know I, I would use more cunning and then he talks about how all he needs to defeat Ixta is his thumb at which point I was like, oh, is he going to pressure point him? Mm-hmm. And then it got better. Right. So he has Ixta go pick something. He's like, oh, go pick that up. And Ixta goes to pick it up. And then Ian, like... Vulcan nerve pinch. Yeah, like a 
So it's kind of really unclear. Like the camera doesn't show what Ian is doing. I think it's a pressure point because that's how the novel describes it. The writer who wrote this did write the book version also. And he says that basically like Ian touched like the pressure point like behind the ear. It's really hard to see exactly where he's touching him. Uh, Because I've heard other people say like it looks like he's touching him like on the shoulder or whatever. But yeah, like you don't really see because Ixta's between you and Ian's hand. Mm -hmm. uh, The way the camera's pointed. But it looks like I can see a little bit of Ian's fingers, I think, around his neck. So I think it might be like, like there's that spot behind your ear that if you press like really hard, like it gets really painful really fast. Isn't it called um, the vagus nerve? If you hit it hard enough, you can actually cause death. I would not be surprised, but I don't know enough about it to tell you. I, I don't know, really know. Listeners, please comment. And right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, somebody knows. Let me know. So yeah, like he, he like, like Ixta's just like pushed down on the table and is done. He's just not getting up. Kathoxel comes in and he's shocked, you know, because Ixta's just down. And Otlock says that Ian won with his thumb. And he's just like, what? And, you know, like, did you see it? And he's like, yeah, he just used his thumb. Once Ixta gets up, Kathoxel's like, did you do anything? He's like, no, I was, I was powerless to do anything. And then Tanilla, which is a new character, uh, he's not named at this point, but he's uh, he's another priest. He comes in and says that the perfect victim wants to come in. And Clitoxel's like, well, everything that he asks for has to be granted. And so he comes in and then Clitoxel does his great like Shakespearean vi- villain thing of I'm going to like seem like I'm making like a lot of sense here while just basically manipulating everybody to do what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And so he starts talking about how like, well, you know, like... Ixta, you know, he seemed to be really great just like a day ago, but you know, now I don't think he's really all that special. So Ixta's getting all fired up like, I was beaten by a trick. You know, he's like, well, maybe it was a trick. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? It's too bad. You know, he already won. So it's not like you're going to have another fight unless, you know, the perfect. Hey, everything you ask for, because he's a guy who's about to be sacrificed. So he basically gets whatever he wants. (laughs) For the last few days of his life. And that's why they call him, I guess they call him the perfect victim because like he's supposed to be like physically and, you know, morally like, you know, the ideal of their society. I don't know that for a fact. That's just my intuit, like, you know, what I'm guessing from that name. And so, you know, like, well, you know, if you asked for it, we'd have to do it. And so he's like, yeah, I want to see them fight. And uh, so, you know, Honor the glory. gets his way. That's right. And you know, the doctor's talking with Kamika again. And she's Yeah. Te- yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, they have eavesdroppers. Oh, yeah, they like, all these follow- old people. <laughs> It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you like, yeah, they them, like hanging out. Yeah, they populate this garden with a lot of older extras, and they're all just sort of standing around. And yeah, every once in a while, you see like the doctor like glaring at one of them, like, "Could you do you mind? You know, like, give me and give us like, our oh, space. I don't mind. Let me get closer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you give us something to gossip about? Yeah. So, um, she's telling him about like the pl- this plant that they have that can you know be used to like induce sleep and. She asks him if he's a healer, but he tells her no, but he's a scientist and a builder. And then they start talking about the temple again. And so, you know, she says like, okay, I'll arrange a meeting between you and the builder's son today. And this is when the flirting gets so good because the doctor tells her that other people in the garden's minds are old and that hers will never be. And she tells him that his heart is young. Oh man, knowledge and a cute girl. The doctor is all about this. (laughs) 
Professor Otlaw comes to question Barbara. No, Clitoxel just sends them away, uh, the guards away. Yes. And then Barbara asks him, well, what will you do if Otlock says that, you know, that I've proven myself? And he says, oh, well, then I'll beg forgiveness. But then he tells her that she can't meet with any of her servants while this is going on because they basically don't want there to be some sort of conspiracy. Um, And so until, you know, she's proven herself, they have to stay. And she says, okay, just as long as you make sure that they know. Then we cut to Kameka. Uh, She comes in to talk to Ixta and he says that he wants to know if she knows anything about magic because he thinks that Ian used some sort of like magic touch on him or whatever. And she's like, no, I don't know anything about magic, but I do know somebody who I think does. And she tells him it's the the aged servant of Utaxa. And Ixta's like, oh man, that won't help. But then he's like, wait a minute. Oh no, she's good. No, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting ahead of my notes here because I think I know the scene and I'm like, oh yeah, wait, wait, wait. But then she's like, oh, but you might be able to help him because he wants to know about the temple your father designed. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, oh, okay. Like, does he know like my name? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, uh, tell him I'll meet with him. And then he's just like, mwahaha when she leaves. What better way to destroy your enemies than let them destroy themselves? So he's trying to be clever. And so... Susan, this is when we get our Susan scene for the episode. She's studying at the seminary and... Okay, I gotta ask. Did we repurpose Mr. No Pants' toga from the last episode to be <laughs> Susan's new drape? <laughs> it does look somewhat similar, doesn't it? Oh, yes it does. That fringe looks exactly the same. I didn't even think about it until you just said it, and now in my mind I'm remembering both of those, and I'm like, oh, could be. I mean, kudos to them if they did. I, I mean, I doubt it because he was way taller, but, you know, it well, could be. It's just it. I mean, they could have, like, just adjusted the size of it and hemmed it up to, you know, fit over her, but it just looks that's like true. the exact same fabric. Yeah, that's fair. And it only comes down to, like, her mid-chest. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... It's... That's very possible, actually. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like reciting some things that she's learned and whatever, and, and Otlock and Tanilla are impressed. But Otlock introduces her to Tanilla, so she goes to shake his hand like you would, you know, in, in England, you know, <laughs> which is where she had been, you know, on Earth recently. And Otlock is like, whoa, what are you doing? That's not how you meet somebody. You're supposed to just stand like completely straight with your eyes fixed on the person unless you're meeting your future husband, and then you should keep your eyes down. And Susan's like, well, how would I know he's going to be my husband? And they're like, well, we'd tell you. And Susan's like, I don't think so. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and if you remember, like her buddy Ping Cho, just two stories ago, you know, mm-hmm. that's what was going on with Ping Cho. So Susan is all against the whole arranged marriage, you know, sort of thing. I was pretty sure that's exactly what she was thinking about. Right, exactly. And so, and so, yeah, it's just like, no, that's, and so, you know, they're a little surprised by her saying that, but nothing. Nothing comes of that yet. Then Ixta goes to talk to the doctor that he's wearing like the sort of jaguar, you know, warrior headdress thing that they have. It's not a jaguar. They took a stuffed animal and skinned it. <laughs> I know they did. That is the fakest fur I've ever seen. <laughs> How do you know it wasn't a jaguar stuffed animal? I mean, it might have been, but it was still a stuffed animal. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, what do you think? Do you think the BBC was actually going to go out and hunt a jaguar <laughs> and actually like turn it into a, a headdress? Well, there's like, fantastic fake fur out there. <laughs> synthetic fur <laughs> this looks like it's a, a toy you would put into your child's crib <laughs> you're, not <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong you 
skinned it, they opened its mouth and they stuck fangs on it. I feel <laughs> like that's what they did. I mean, I guess if it works, it works, but it was a little, it felt a little obvious. I kind of want to know what it was actually made out of now. And you are harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only harsh when it calls for it. Like, man, uh, I can't, every time I see people in those hats, I can't stop staring. Quetoxel, his headdress, man, the mm. feathers. It's like they're hypnotizing me every time I see them. Yeah. I showed you a color picture of him. Oh, like, it didn't he, make it wearing such bright red oh. in his costume. It just got worse. Yeah. So, yeah, then the doctor's like, tells Ixta that he's interested in the entrance to the, the high priest's tomb. And Ixta said, well, my father drew it, you know, like basically saying there are plans for it. And the doctor says, well, can I see them? And Ixta says, sure, if the gods are willing. And then he creates this story about how he's going to have to fight somebody. But even though it's not to the death, if he loses, he'd be dishonored. Nobody could talk to him for, you know, many days. So the doctor says, okay, well, let's help each other out here. And so um, he sticks uh, the thorn into the plant that Kameka had told him about just a little bit ago. And, and so, like, the sap is, like, running over the thorn as, you know, Ixta goes away because he's going to come back in a little bit. I've seen people, like, reviewing this story, talking about how, like, well, he just said that he wasn't, uh, like, a healer, but he knows all about this, you know, how to do this with this plant. And I'm like, first of all, Kameka just told him. And second of all, you don't need to be a doctor to know this. Right. This is a botany thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you know this plant has, like, you know, a sap that can cause drowsiness, that's not a doctor thing. But, yeah, sometimes fans are stupid. Anyway. You hear his laugh? Yeah. That was a cr- incredibly creepy laugh coming from the doctor. Mm. He's like... <laughs> I think his laugh sounds like Yoda a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh, I don't know about that particular one but I think a lot of times when he laughs that William Hartnell just had a way of laughing it sounds a lot like Yoda I can't say anything I've been known when t- whenever I get very amused to sound like a demented chipmunk so I really shouldn't make fun of his laugh <laughs> Alvin uh, so Clitoxel comes in oh no I'm sorry Clitoxel's already watching Ian practicing and then Ixta comes in and Clitoxel asks him if he can defeat Ian and Ixta says that he's sure of it so then he goes over to Ian he challenges him so Ian agrees then he goes back like Ian's just like happy go like he's like I beat him once you know like he's just like sure we can fight again it's fine uh-huh. and he just like runs off to another part of the room or whatever and so then Clitoxel's like like, are you really sure? And Ixta says, oh, yeah, if you want to, I'll kill him. And Kotoxel says, let him die. Ugh. Why are you going, ugh? I'm just the evilness of it all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's delightfully evil, though. <laughs> he is, and he draws other people in, and they're not even unwilling participants. Right. This guy is all about it. Oh, yeah, Ixta, yeah. Ixta is also very bloodthirsty. Uh-huh. Yeah, so then it cuts to uh, Barbara, who's talking with Otlock about how Clitoxel's trying to discredit her. Um, then they have this conversation where basically Otlock says, look, like, I wouldn't be unhappy if the gods tell us that sacrifice we're not supposed to do sacrifice anymore. I- I'm okay with that. And Barbara's basically telling him the history lesson of look, like your people are going to be wiped out and, you know, as things get increasingly worse, you're just going to sacrifice more and more people until, you know, 10,000 people die in one day just from being sacrificed. And then they're they're going to be, you know, completely destroyed. So Otlock's like, oh, so this is like, you're prophesying the end. And she's like, yes. (laughs) 
So Mm -hmm. trying to convince him that this is a very big deal. But then we go back to the doctor who shows the thorn to Ixta. He tells him that it's not poison. It's not going to kill a person, but all he has to do is scratch around the wrist area and then it'll like weaken his opponent. And so he tells the doctor he'll come back and meet him after the fight to show him the supposed drawings. Spoiler, there are no drawings. Yeah, I was very (laughs) disappointed. So Clotoxo and Otlock are talking up in the temple and Otlock's telling him about what she prophesied. He's just like, pfft. She just did that to keep us from, you know, getting rid of her. But then the doctor comes in and they see him, but the doctor doesn't know that he's not supposed to go up here now because nobody ever told him. Mm -hmm. And so he's telling Barbara that he thinks he's going to find out how to get into the tomb tonight. He just had to help somebody win a fight. And she's like, wait, who? Yeah. And he's like, he's this guy in this cat thing. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't even see a jaguar. It's like the doctor should know what a jaguar is, but he's just like, he's got some sort of like cat mask on. And Barbara's like, that's Ixta. He's the one Ian's fighting. So the doctor runs out because he's going to go warn Ian, but then the soldiers grab him and they pull him out, you know, away. And then Barbara tells Otlock, well, wait, he didn't know because no one ever told him. So Otlock says, okay, I'll go take care of it. But then she's like, stop this fight between Ian and Ixta. And Otlock says, well, why? I mean, I've already seen Ian beat him once. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame him for that thought. Right. And he's like, and it's not supposed to be to the death. So, you know, it should be okay. And so Barbara's like, okay, you go. Just make sure nobody dies. Then we go back to Ian and Ixta. They were getting their fights. Which is one heck of a weird wrestling match. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost like wrestling with like a little bit of judo. It's kind of a weird sort of mishmash. So the bad part is so Ian's like getting the upper hand, right? It looks like Ian's going to win. And then Ixta's like pulling out the thorn. But, you know, it's kind of hard to like scratch somebody's wrist, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the doctor's like, Ian, don't let Ixta scratch you. And of course, like as he's saying that, Ian's like, what? And <laughs> Ixta comes up and scratches his wrist. Now, the bad part is, so the so way bad. that they film it, the way that they film it, though, like, I guess to make it, like, have some, I don't know, like, to make it look, like, why would Ian, like, get, let this happen? They have the doctor come out and touch his wrist where he's being told, like, don't let him scratch you. So that Ixta can come and scratch right there as the doctor's, like, almost holding Ian's hand in place. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, that's so ridiculous. And it looks like a line of ketchup. It really does. Well, it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he probably had something in his wrist, you know, or, you know, like up in the sleeve that you know squirted out so yeah and so the doctor is saying like whoa we got to stop this fight because uh Ixta's using that magic i gave him oh my god yeah that doesn't help <laughs> yeah Ixta was like well good you should be happy Ixta's gonna win <laughs> and so yeah Ixta's starting to like ian's doing like sort of like groggy stuff he's stumbling around looking confused he's you know having a much harder time and Ixta gets him down on the table and he's knocked out, and so Clitoxel says, kill him. And Otlock says, wait, Yatoxa forbids it, and Clitoxel's like, it doesn't matter, she's a false goddess, kill him. And then Barbara comes in, and she tells them to stop. But then Clitoxel says, okay, prove your Yataxa, save him. Mm-hmm. And that's our cliffhanger. Yeah. And this next one, though, is like the best, the best thing ever. <laughs> So episode three is The Bride of Sacrifice. For the record, when I first saw that title, I thought it said The Bridge of Sacrifice, which also would have been really cool. Sure, yeah. So Barbara's solution to the save him is she grabs Clitoxel's knife and puts it to his neck. (laughs) And she's like, okay, if Ian dies, you die. And so then he's 
like, uh, yeah, Ixta, don't kill him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because it's like, you know, it's like you think like, oh my God, how is she going to pull this off? And it's like the easiest solution of all. She's just, uh, fine, I stab you, you know? <laughs> I mean, skipping ahead a little bit, like when Otlock questions her about it, I love it because she's just like, why what, should I use divine power if human ability would suffice? <laughs> it's just like, I like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's the best excuse you could come up with, you know, <laughs> for not having divine power, if what, why you did it that way. Yeah, so everybody leaves. Clitoxel is upset with Ixta because he realizes that, oh, this is just like, first of all, you cheated and then it's just the sap from a plant. We, you know, it's not magic, but he's, he's curious. He doesn't, he's like, why did the doctor give it to you in the first place? And Ixta is basically like, oh, he wanted these plans for the tomb. Then Clitoxel tells him, okay, well, next time Ian is at your mercy, you'll be able to kill him. Then we cut to Otlock telling Barbara that Clitoxel was humiliated. And so, you know, he's not going to forget or forgive. Because she didn't do what he expected. Right. And I'm like, she's supposed to be a reincarnation. Of course, she can do whatever she wants. Right. <laughs> but of course, that's because I don't think he truly believes in the gods. He knows that the gods don't bring rings. Of course. Right. He, he basically thought that he had put her in an unwinnable situation. But then she won by the most mundane. I mean, yeah, his, his pride is hurt because she got around with he thought was sort of a clever way of putting her in her place mm-hmm. you know Otlock points out to her that Clitoxel is the high priest of sacrifice so he's not going to resist you know like there's no way they're ever going to get him on board with like the no sacrifice thing right and then she finds out that the next one's going to be in three days because there's going to be the eclipse you know and he tells her that I mean because she's asking him like you know that the eclipse is going to end whether there's a sacrifice or not and he's like yeah I do but you know look there's no way back for me if we do this so do not deceive me or, or do anything because like you know if i back you in this this is it i love how she actually mentions she mentions a specific time she mentions noon and the high priest is like yeah that's exactly what time it's gonna happen as Mm -hmm. though i'm fairly certain that i'm I'm hoping this was just a translation thanks to the tardis but i was like how do they did they have the word for noon no i just i have no idea for some reason it struck me like it does in lord of the rings when you know meets back on the menu boys when haven't (laughs) urukai ever seen a menu (laughs) (laughs) i can't help it sometimes it happens maybe isengard really has like a nice hopping you know uh, restaurant scene that we just don't know about it could happen And so, yeah, then we cut back to the doctor in the Garden of Peace, and Clitoxel is just kind of standing around, and he asks him why he helped Ixta. And the doctor's like, go away. Yeah, well, yeah, the doctor first doesn't want him there, but then he tells him, like, look, I was deceived. I'm faithful to my friends. And Clitoxel's like, no, you're not. You're trying to get into the tomb. Then the doctor actually very cleverly is now going to play on Clitoxel, that the fact that Clitoxel is so set on exposing Barbara that he's like, well, why don't you figure out to open the tomb and then you'll get the proof that you need. <laughs> <laughs> Which is too bad this doesn't pan out because there are no drawings, but he basically tells him that Ixta has some drawings that would show how to get into the tomb and Clitoxel's like, all right. But then when he goes to see Ixta, you know, Ixta basically tells him there are no drawings, but that's a little bit ahead because right now what happens is Ian wakes up and Ixta's face is like right there and he's just like, ah! <laughs> I can't blame him. I would react the same way. But then I like this because Ixta is suddenly like so like, even though Ixta knows he used trickery to defeat Ian, he is like now so confident of oh, himself. He's, like he's just up. Right, exactly. And he's just like, oh, now that I know that I can defeat you, there's no reason for me to kill you in secret. Relax, you know? Like we can be we can be buddies for the short time of life that you have now. <laughs> 
And then Ian's like, oh, I'm going to die, am I? And he's like, oh, yes, Ian, next time I will not fail to kill you. <laughs> but he's so nice about it. He's so, like, happy and smiling and just like, hey, we'll be buddies for the next few days. It will be great. Then Clitoxel comes in and he asks, that's when he finds out that the, there are no real drawings. So then Clitoxel's talking with Tanilla and Ian kind of overhears them as he's walking out because Ixta wants them to go off and do something. So he hears them talking about proving if Yatox is real or not, but he doesn't hear the whole conversation. And basically, Clitoxel's plan is this. We'll give her some poison. If she lives, she's immortal. And if not, she's a liar. So, you know. Hello, witch trial. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, the witch trial problem was no matter which way you were, you were going to die. Um, this one, at least, if she is immortal, like supposedly she would live. So... Tanilla at first is kind of on the fence. Like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And Kitoxel, again, he's so good at manipulating. He's like, wouldn't you love the glory of seeing a god proven before your very eyes? It's <laughs> just like, oh. He's a master manipulator. Yeah. I do like this turn of phrase because of the way he delivers it. Um, because Tanilla's like, okay, Yumi and Otlock will go. And Kitoxel's like, no, 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 Otlock. He, he won't let us even try this. He's like, for once, the high priest of knowledge will be in ignorance. <laughs> Oh, he he's so like he so relishes it like the way he delivers it that it's just it's fun oh oh this scene in the garden in the garden yeah so like Kameka has the cocoa bean oh my gosh it's so sweet <laughs> and so they use cocoa beans as money but they also um apparently uh drinking hot cocoa is a love potion in their society so and so Otlock's like, oh, you should make it for him. Because she's talking, so she looks at the doctors kind of like slyly, like, you know, like, and he's like, oh, you, you should make him a love potion. And she's like, no, 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 that's too bold. He should do it for me. Uh-huh. So now we get this great scene of the doctor thinking he knows stuff and he doesn't actually know stuff. Because he's looking at this, there's the, the symbol of the taxa on the wall of the garden. And so he's kind of looking at it. And then she comes up and she accidentally spills the beans. <laughs> And, oh, he, and he's helping her to pick him up and she's talking about how that they use him for barter and the doctor's like oh what a great idea it's a currency you can drink and she's like oh do you know our custom and he's like sure yeah let, let's make some cocoa you know <laughs> of course he's just so thinking he a- he's just thinking let's make a tasty drink <laughs> no. i wasn't actually sure like okay. he does this and i'm like wait does he know what this means does he not know what this means is he using her I see I've heard that like theory before but my the way he reacts in the next oh. bit when they're actually drinking it it seems oh, like yeah. he's surprised I, oh, he looks totally surprised later. right right but that's what made me feel a lot better about it. right yeah I think he's like oh let's just make this tasty drink because I'm just like I like her don't hurt her feelings <laughs> right. he does not know what he's saying with this but she's very excited about right her. yeah she's <laughs> She is very excited because she's like surprised at just like how like he's like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Like there's like no hesitation or anything. He's just all like, yeah. So Ian sneaks in to talk to Barbara. Um, he says the Edgerus talking to her because he heard Tanilla and Clitoxel were planning something. We couldn't hear the whole thing. And so then he has to hide, though, because that's when they come in with the drink. 
And they're like, oh, well, you know, like, there's been all this bad blood. You know, Clotox is like, there's been all this bad blood between us. Let's all share from this drink to show that we're, like, forging a new friendship. Tanilla's like, I'm here to be the witness. And so he goes to, you know, hand it to Barbara, and she takes it. And Ian's, like, behind them, like, with, like, waving his hands, like, do not, do not touch that thing. And so then, of course, she does a really great thing of, like, being like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Uh, Just one thing. And Clotox was like, yeah, anything. I'm willing to do whatever you want. And she's like, drink first. Yeah. <laughs> now, had she, she could have gone about it slightly differently. She should have been like, the honor of the first drink should be yours. Yeah. At that point, that would have been a lot more... Well, I mean, it has the right effect because she she holds it out and like he backs away from it. Like he mm-hmm. he's like, no, I don't want to touch it. And then she holds it out to Danilla and he kind of like looks the same way. And then she's like, this is how you honor me with poison. She throws it and it smashes. And oh, she has a fantastic temper. Yeah, and and she's just like railing against them and like Tanilla books it and Clotoxel's just like backing up and he like hits the altar. Like basically, she backs him up to the altar, which he falls over because he's terrified at this point because like they don't know Ian told her anything so at this point and this is my one problem I realize that she's super stressed at this point and she blurts out something she shouldn't but at this point she might have been able to hold him off with the how dare you do this to a god like of course I know this is poison but instead she says because he says like a god would have lived and she says well I would have died because I'm not Yataxa and so she basically admits it to him nobody else is around but she admits it to him which you know of course now he knows for 100% sure I mean heck there is the she still could have rolled with it in that the earthly body would have died yeah well that's true I mean but no no she was too upset right so but she tells him like again because she has totally bought into this I have so much power now she's basically like if you breathe a word against me to anyone I'll just have the people rise up and destroy you so uh, you know that's that's how they end He, he goes off Oh, I did skip that she and Ian had a little conversation before they showed up where she's talking about how, like, uh, Clotoxel's just manipulating everyone to his side. And Ian's the one that points out, if you could just take a step back from this and look at how things really are, everybody does already think the way Clotoxel thinks. It's Otlock mm-hmm. that's the odd man out. You know, like, he's the one that's questioning the beliefs of their society. But it's so ingrained in with, you know, the majority of people that this isn't like, oh, yeah, everybody would love to give up sacrifice and Clotoxel is this evil guy just making people do it no it's a part of their way of life and they're all cool with it right so yeah then we cut to the doctor and Kameka. They're, they're drinking their hot cocoa and he's happy and she is like blissfully happy and she's like i accept your proposal and he starts oh, choking his on his expression. <laughs> the camera like, zooms in <laughs> yes. it's so perfect and it i'm is. like oh he didn't I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I love that scene. So Clotoxel overhears Otlock and Tonilla talking about Susan. And then he says that, you know, hey, Otlock's like, hey, it makes sense that she knows things that only priests know because she serves the gods. And Clotoxel's like, not our gods. And Otlock's like, okay, you you know, you can just stop this. Stop (laughs) you being this way. He walks off. But then Clotoxel and Tanilla talk and he finds out that even though Susan's really smart, she's very willful in his words because she won't marry for honor or for advice. 
And so Kotox was like, well, we'll just have to find her a husband then. <laughs> okay, he doesn't want but... He's just about as good. <laughs> I mean, wow. He's too busy swallowing the scenery. Um, but <laughs> so then we cut back to Susan, and Otlock's questioning her again, and she's giving her answers, and then the perfect victim and Tanilla enter. Perfect sacrifice. Well, he is the perfect sacrifice, but they actually call, like, he's credited as the perfect victim. (laughs) So they introduce her to him. She finds out who he is. He's going to be sacrificed. And she's just like, kind of like, you know, like, you know, because she doesn't like the whole idea of sacrifice and everything else. And he's like, well, I'll take her. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, really, for all the grief people give Susan for like the way she acts to things, this is truly terrifying. Well, not only that, he's up in her personal space. Like, you talk about, like, nose to nose. He's, like, right there. Yeah. I'll take her. Because you're in the society where, basically, they think it's perfectly fine to him for him to do whatever he wants up until the point he dies, Mm -hmm. including just taking her in the sense of truly taking her, like, sexually and everything else. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, like, I can really, like, understand her being like, no. (laughs) <laughs> this is no and and being like really upset and being like you're monsters just because she's a young woman and just be like yeah he can have her it's pretty you know messed up but otlock is still like otlock again you see is the guy that actually has you know like a like a conscience you know about things and he's he tells her like i'll do whatever i can to help you then uh the doctor we go back to him at the garden he's still looking at that symbol on the wall and Kameka comes to him. She gives him this medallion that she has with Yutaxa's symbol on it. And she says that Ixta's father gave it to him the night he disappeared. So much weirdness in there. <laughs> and she says also, he was here in the garden. But he gave it to, he got it from inside the tomb. And it, she says that to the doctor. It takes him a few minutes to get, to realize what she just said. Right. Also, I wonder, was Ixta's father and her maybe involved? I don't know. It seemed like she... She says at one point that he was in love with her. We never find out if she loved him back. I wondered. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she was his wife because Ixta doesn't treat her like she's his mom. So I mm-hmm. think that it was like a later relationship. But yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't learn a whole lot about that. But yeah, they could very well have been involved. I always want to know these weird side stories. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and she says that she looks forward to a life of bliss with the doctor. No. And yeah, it's very cute. Doesn't she also say that uh, he just, you know, I had this weird feeling that like, he didn't just disappear randomly. I have a feeling that the bad priest was involved or something, Quetoxel. I just, oh. there's just. All right. Well, I'm, we're going to get to that. I'm going to tell you what the novel says because the novel actually tells us what happens to him. And since it's by the writer of the story, because in some cases the novels were written by people who didn't write the story and, and that's a little different. But I think this is the original intention, but we'll, we'll get to that okay. in a little bit. So Kotoxel and Tanilla, they come to see Barbara and they say like, well, what should we do if somebody speaks out publicly against our laws and the punishment is supposed to be, they're supposed to be scourged in front of the people, which I find. So I've looked up what scourging means before. It's basically having your back flayed open. Yeah. And then, and then aren't they supposed to be pierced by thorns? Right. And then they say that the person's ears and tongue will then be pierced by thorns. So yeah. Is it good or bad that I long known what scourging means. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, what hey, it. hey, what however you get your jollies, that's that's up to you. No <laughs> judgment here. <laughs> 
But yeah, she says that she doesn't agree with that. But then they're basically like, look, even Otlock agrees with this punishment. And she's like, when's it supposed to happen? They say it'll be on the day of the eclipse. And she's like, okay, well, uh, when that happens, I want all my servants here with me. And Cathoxel's like, oh, your servants will be here. <laughs> you know, He's like grinning because they're talking about Susan as oh, the yeah. person that, that spoke out. So then we go to the doctor telling Ian that he thinks that there's a tunnel because he's been looking at this thing on the wall, this symbol. And he's like, he thinks that there's like an entrance to the tomb through a tunnel there. And so they should go looking at night, to see if they can get in there. Mm hmm. And then he tells Ian that, you know, his fiance told him, you know, some stuff. And he's <laughs> like, what? Yeah, <laughs> hot like, chocolate equals engagement. Right. And he's like, I made some hot chocolate and I got engaged. And Ian just thinks this is the greatest thing. He's <laughs> like, oh, congratulations. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh, the doctor's not even upset about that part. <laughs> I know. Um, then Otlock's talking with Barbara later and he's talking to her about, okay, we're committed to the to ending sacrifice, right? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's just really sad about Susan. And she's like, what? What about Susan? And he's like, well, she's going to be punished. And Barbara says, like, okay, well, if we're going to end sacrifice, once we do that, I'll just have Susan released. And he's like, well, but she's going to be punished before that. So... Basically, if Barbara interferes with that, then that might throw out their whole plan of forbidding sacrifice because that will already cause a problem with Clitoxel and everything else early. And so he's like, you know, you got to choose. Is it going to be her or is it going to be our civilization? Mm-hmm. But then we cut tonight. Ian goes, gets up, you know, because he's sleeping. But Ixta, On a stone floor. On a stone floor, right next to Ixta. But again, oh. I'm not going to judge. <laughs> Ixta notices... How could you not? Right. <laughs> and so he sneaks after him. With a stone knife that he just picks up. Yeah. Randomly. Well, yeah, because there's, it, it basically, it's like the armory is where, like, they sleep. <laughs> yeah, but it's just laying right there on the slab. Just one of them, not put away properly. Right. They, they do not take care of their weapons in this armory. <laughs> so, you know, the Ian goes up to the doctor there in the garden. And so he pulls at the stone piece that has the attacks a symbol on it. And he fails to make it look heavy. <laughs> Oh, he he sold it the best he could, but it was so obvious from even there was some sound of styrofoam. I mean, but kudos to. I mean, he tries, he tries. It's just it's so obvious that this is styrofoam because it's like it's like jerky movements, right? It's not like he's moving it and it's slow and hard. It's just kind of like. And then it shifts like a huge amount. <laughs> He's trying to make it go slow. My exact note was too bad it moves like so yeah so then it's basically an empty tunnel so uh the doctor wants to go but ian's like no no no, you stay i'll go and so the doctor hands him his flashlight and ian goes inside but then ixta just pretends that he's passing by and he's like oh somehow the stone's not in i better put that back and so he goes and he does his own heavy acting to put it back and he basically tells the doc because the doctor's like well we don't know why it's out maybe you should just leave it that way and he's like no it'll ruin the garden because they open this gate near the lake that lets the water rush in and like it comes through this tunnel back behind here to irrigate the garden and the doctor's like whoops See, now here's where I had a weird thought as to, I wondered if Ixta's father got sealed up in this tunnel yes. and drowned. That is, is really yep. 
That's really what happened? That is what the novel says. Ian finds, in the novel, Ian finds the skeleton in the tunnel. I was positive he was going to. Yeah, yeah. He found the, so yeah, somehow, like, Ixta's father couldn't get out, and he got drowned um, in there. My powers of deduction are right. amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that was the author's intention anyway. Maybe they thought it would be too scary for the kids at home. I don't know. Hey, look, with this writer, I am, like, two for two <laughs> between Pie Show and, uh, no, not Pie Show. Oh, that's the name of the game in avatar what was her name Hingcho. Hingcho. Yeah. it was too close her and the messenger yep. dude i was like oh no they need to end up together and apparently in the novel they were totally gonna end mm-hmm. up together and now i have like successfully determined where dude's father yep, died. you have <laughs> i'm so proud of myself yeah uh, but yeah so it starts filling with water and ian's you know of course worried and that's the end of the episode <laughs> and then we get to episode four the day of darkness Look, it didn't have the word death. Right, that's true. That's true. This is probably the tamest of all the titles in this in this serial because we got what the Temple of Evil. We've got mm-hmm. Warriors of Death and the Bride of Sacrifice. Day of Darkness isn't absolutely awful. right. Exactly. Yeah. So then we have this really poorly done montage. <laughs> <laughs> because i don't know why actually but it's like all these little scenes of ian just like well first he the way out of the tunnel is that they actually on the ceiling there's another symbol and that's like the now, part you have to push at and when he pushes at that it, i see him push this open but then i got really confused yes i was like is he climbing on a wall is he slithering well yeah something? so after that point it becomes confusing exactly what i think what they were trying to convey is that there were a lot of really small things that he had to crawl up and then crawl through and that you get what i'm saying like it's more zigzaggy you know and yeah. so he's like crawling all over inside this thing because if you think about it if this guy designed this tunnel he had to make it in such a way that the builders didn't realize that oh you're making this big tunnel that goes to the tomb he had to make it in such a way that it would be like little small spaces you know that people somebody would have to crawl through to get there it didn't come across well yeah because they didn't have the sets for it so in one case we see him crawling up a completely black it's complete blackness and he's just crawling Mm -hmm. (laughs) what is that i don't know there's no set so, uh, but yeah, he eventually comes out in the tomb mm-hmm. underneath the table where the body is actually laid. But yeah, so like the doctor's panicking and he tells Ixta that Ian's in there and they've got to open it back up and Ixta just thinks it's hilarious. And he's like, you know, thank you for giving me this victory. And he walks away. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ian, when he's in the tomb, he's looking around what he can do and he finds like this leather cord or something like it's a leather strip anyway. It's pretty long. And so he wraps it around something. It's like, it's almost like a, I don't know, it's like a bracket above the door so that he's got something to tie it to on that end. And then takes it, he unrolls it as he goes into the, you know, out of the tomb into the room where Barbara is. And so that way they've got like the strip of leather running underneath the door that they could pull on from the other side. Yeah, but he didn't even test to see if he could lift it back up before he pulled, uh, before I, let it settle completely in the I, I Yeah, so I have a note, like you're a physics teacher. you should be better at this because even the doctor's pointing out like just pulling straight isn't going to give us all that much you want to pull at like an angle upwards to give the maximum amount on that door because of the way the door swings you want it to be like you know at a 45 degree angle probably is best 
so much for our education. Uh, But at least he has something that's going back into the tomb. And so, you know, the doctor and Barbara are both happy because, you know, the doctor thought Ian was like the doctor was going to tell Barbara that Ian is dead and then finds Ian coming into the room. So he looked honestly worried and that made me very happy. And but then Barbara tells the doctor that Susan's going to be punished because she refused to marry the perfect victim. And so Ian says, "Okay, I'll get her out. And I'm like, oh, goody. Ian gets to go rescue everybody. (laughs) He is the male lead. (laughs) You'd think the doctor is, but he's kind of not at this point. (laughs) So Clitoxel's like, he's ecstatic because he's like, yes, without Ian, like they'll be completely at our mercy. And so he tells Ixta to guard Susan. Oh, by the way, it wasn't until this point that I realized Ixta's bangs are cut at an angle, and that's really bothering <laughs> me. And I had wondered why I had taken an instant dislike to him, and it's probably because his bangs are at this weird angle. That's great. Uh, oh, it's so awful. It throws me off. <laughs> These are so much like, this is just like the conversations that Beth and I have. <laughs> It's like all the stuff I don't notice. Like, I don't care about that detail, but that's hilarious. Oh, by the way, when Ian first went into the tunnel, mm-hmm. the doctor gave him a flashlight. And my first thought was, well, thank goodness it wasn't a pen I figured light. you would say something about that. Because I'm <laughs> like, at least it's a real flashlight. Yep. I thought it would be too mean to actually write down. <laughs> And Clitoxel's just enjoying, like, guarding Susan because he's, like, taunting her about Ian being dead, like, the whole time. But then the funny thing is, as he's saying all this stuff about Ian being dead, Ian is sneaking up behind him. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then, like, when he turns to see that Ian's there, he punches him out. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, and so then Ian and Susan get away. And they get up to the, the temple, and they try pulling on the leather, and it's not lifting the door. And then they even try, like, the doctor's like, okay, let's, like, pull it over the chair so that we can pull down on this end, and hopefully it'll pull up at the door. But, like, that just makes the leather snap. I mean, had it worked, this would have been a really short episode. Right, that's true. But, yeah, that's where I th- had, you'd think a physics teacher would know better. Because the doctor's the one explaining to him, like, we really need to pull at an angle. And Ian's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> the way it swings. It was that stupid eagle helmet that Ian Moore, it kind of messed with his head. Yeah, it could be. Maybe constricted. Too much pressure yeah. on the brain. Yeah, so Clitoxel's mad that Ian got Susan. Like, first, that Ian's still alive and that he got Susan away. So he tells Ixta to take Ian's club because they know, like, Otlock always goes to the same place to meditate every morning and he's by himself because mm-hmm. it's before everybody else gets up. And so he's like, go there, hit him, and leave the club next to him so Ian will be blamed. Now, here I was like, shouldn't this guy for a moment looks a little worried that maybe we're going a little too far? And then, no, 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 he's totally and he's totally all in. I think his worry was more that if he got caught, it would be really bad for him. But when Clotoxo explained, like, no, this will get the blame on Ian, then he was like, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> if Ian gets the blame, that's that's fine. So yeah, once the, you know, they're like, okay, well, we need to figure out something else. So Ian decides that he and Susan can try going back to the garden to get in the tunnel and then they could open the door from the other end. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why he brings Susan with him other than like the script said so because it's like Ian was the one he didn't need any help to open up the tunnel before so mm-hmm. it's like why do you need Susan with you you should just crawl I mean the same thing would have happened that happens but then Susan wouldn't have been part of it but oh well. maybe he was afraid of the dark <laughs> okay I'll go with that 
But then, yeah, Barbara starts getting, like, really depressed, and she's like, I feel like all the... Dude, she has the... That's the best yeah. line. That's the best line in the whole Yeah, episode. I feel like all the people who have died here are watching and waiting for me to die, too. Oh, my gosh. I was like, whoa. I mean, you gotta think... I mean, the thing is, like, the smell must be horrible. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that... Um, there's an extra on the DVD that talks about, like, the Aztecs, and it talks about, like, the accounts of the Spanish that came mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, and, and were actually in the capital city there. And they talk about the smell at the temple. And it's like, if you think about it, it must smell, like, horrible because it's just entrails, you know, oh, yeah. and stuff. Like, they're, like, constantly, like, just seeping into the stone you know that probably doesn't come out <laughs> i don't know how well they know, cleaned it smells. it smells like death. yeah yeah so it smells like death there so you gotta figure that's like really disturbing to have to be around it all the time man that line yeah yeah then yeah ian and susan get to the garden and they find otlock on the ground and they do the thing that every show does it's so annoying i'm like oh let's go and like stay here holding the incriminating evidence again it's like ian (laughs) ian stop stop examining things when people are laying on the ground it's just like oh i want to let me get my fingerprints all and not that it matters in aztec times let me get my fingerprints all over this thing (laughs) but yeah like ian realizes that they've been set up just as the soldiers arrive and are like oh he hit Otlock. And of course, Ixta's there to like sell the story because he's the one that brought the soldiers, of course. And he's like, This is Ian's club. I gave it. Right. And he says that um, he hit Otlock from behind. And then Ian seizes on that instantly. Like, how did you know it was from behind? And then he switches to, That's his club. <laughs> yeah. And so then Otlock is upset and he says, you are servants of a false goddess because he thinks that they hit him. And so Clitoxel's really happy about that, but he's talking about how like, well, but we can't just get rid of her because that'll confuse the people because we just told told them she is a goddess and now we're going to get rid of her. So he comes up with this plan and he describes it a little more later, but just to like have some clarity here. Basically his idea is they'll present her to the people before the eclipse, then everything will get dark, then they're going to tie her up, throw her in a room and wall her up and then when the light comes back it'll be like oh after the eclipse she went back into heaven Mm -hmm. so he's getting kind of like a cask of amontillado from poe here (laughs) (laughs) for the love of god clitoxel then we have the doctor he's back in the garden he's like whittling out like a pulley you know, like a wheel for and, a and flirting more with his fiance. Yes, he is. They're so cute. <laughs> they are. And she's like, uh, well, we can postpone the marriage because he's telling her that Ian's innocent. And she's like, okay, I can tell that this is really upsetting for you. So we'll postpone it. But she'll talk to Otlock on his behalf because Otlock doesn't want to talk to any of them. And so mm-hmm. Otlock goes to talk to Barbara. She tries to convince him that Ian didn't hit him, and he's like... But there was evidence. Right. And so, yeah, he's basically like, I'll help Susan, but I'm not helping Ian. Right. <laughs> the doctor finishing his, finishes his pulley, and Kameka says, look, I know you're going. She's like, you're making this, and it's going to take you away mm-hmm. from me. But I'm happy that I got to be with yeah. you. Yeah. He apologizes, and he seems, like, genuinely upset, like, about mm-hmm. this whole thing. Like, he cares about her. It's not just... Like, that's why I don't like the idea of, like, he was stringing her on or anything, because he looks like he is upset, and he tells her that she'll always be very dear to him. Yeah. And then when she, like, goes away, Otlock talks to her, and he tells her, like, he's lost all his faith and everything except for her. 
and he says here's like because he has this thing that he was wearing like that's basically like a symbol of all of his possessions whoever has this his wealth and right yeah right so like whoever has this like gets his property basically Mm -hmm. and so he tells her to bribe the guard on susan so that she can get susan away uh so she goes to do that and so, yeah, like, he was talking about how, like, Ian is, like, when he's talking with Barbara, Otlock was saying, like, well, Ian's just too heavily guarded. But Susan and Ian are being kept in the same place. Yeah, I have comments about <laughs> so that. I'm like, and they're just, like, it's just a room, and they're just, like, sitting on a table. It's just, like, really... With Ixta and his crooked bangs. Yeah. That was, that's a quarantine haircut if I've ever seen one. But yeah, so but then like the perfect victim comes and so like he's gonna have like an honor guard or whatever. So a lot of the soldiers leave with him, including Ixta. And so they're left mm-hmm. with one guard in the room with them. Although they there's some dialogue that says there's some guards outside, but we never see them. Right. So Kameka comes in and she shows the guard, like, look, you know, you can have this. She shows him Otlock's thing, his ornament. And he holds out his Right. Hand. And he's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, no, no, no. First, send away the guards. And so he sends them away. And then she's like, now close your eyes. <laughs> and he's still standing there with his hand held right, out. But he, like, give me, give me the stuff. Right. Yeah. He, he's, he's smart enough to know that he's not going to just close his eyes. And then Ian hits him from behind to knock him out then kameka being like a real jerk leaves the thing in his hands for incriminating evidence i saw that i was like i couldn't decide if she was incriminating or if she was just honestly trying to like keep make good oh yeah but you know what's gonna happen when people show up and what does happen is they're gonna be right exactly so it kind of is it'd be better to find him unconscious with nothing for him but now here's the problem Ian doesn't go with them. Yeah. Well, yeah, because she runs off with Susan, but he gets the idea that he's going to dress up in the soldier outfit again so that nobody will notice him. Uh-huh. So he puts on his eagle helmet again. So Kameka brings... Then Kameka sees the doctor and she's like, I want to go with yep. you. Can I go with you? And he doesn't say no, but he doesn't say yes. Right. And I think it's the last time that they see each other. It is. Because, so, yeah, she brings him Susan because she's obviously angling for, I brought you your granddaughter. <laughs> You know, it's mm-hmm. like, can't you, can't you take me with you? And yeah, he's just got his back sort of turned to her as she's speaking. And she's just like, as she walks away, she says, think of me. Yeah, he does look really uh, sad. He looks, he looks heartbroken about this whole thing, but he just. You've got to be careful who you make your hot chocolate for, dude. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just that he already figures he's taken two people out of time and he shouldn't take any more. I don't know. I mean, it's just. Because, yeah, she's like, I want to go. And It's not like she has anything holding her right. there. but Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, like, Ixta comes in. He sees the guy with the ornament on the ground. And he, Katoxel comes in. And he's basically like, well, we can't wait for the sacrifice. So we got to take care of that first. But kill this guy. <laughs> and so Ixta mm-hmm. kills him. Then we're back at the temple. And the soldiers are there. And Ian, of course, in his clever disguise, is one of them. And it's so obvious. And that's one of my notes is, can no one really see Ian's face in that thing because the mouth of the eagle like the beak is open you can see the face it's only a little bit shadowed right yeah uh, and so, yeah, then the soldiers are sent away, though, to bring Susan and Ian up because they think that they're still in the uh, in the in the place being guarded. Then Katoxel runs up and he's calling Barbara a false goddess and he's trying to stab her with the knife. And that's when Ian reaches out and grabs him. And when Katoxel realizes that Ian's up there, he calls for Ixta. And then Ixta and Ian have their epic fight. Oh, my God. <laughs> It actually wasn't as bad. At least they had shields and they could actually beat on the shields together. Mm. 
The worst part of the fight, I think, was the very obvious telegraphing when Ian was on his back next to the stairs at the end right. of the fight. Yeah, so, yeah, to kick Ixta over as he comes close. Yeah, I mean, it's like Ixta was not trying to protect himself at all. So, yeah, that, that so Ixta dies, and then Ian runs in, and with his help, they're able to open the door, and they run in and then bring the pulley with them because, you know, the Aztecs mm-hmm. didn't have the wheel is one of the things that they bring up, so can't leave that behind. And so they take it. Clitox and Tanilla are right behind them, but then the door shuts, and they're like, well, pff, let them go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, this episode ends like it's really dark because the ending of of the Aztec portion, I guess you could say, is Clitoxel with his hands raised up with the knife about to commit the sacrifice. So it's like he wins. Yep. So yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because of that. And then then Barbara, she's moping in the tomb, you know, basically saying, "I failed." And what's the point in traveling in time if you can't change anything? Yeah. Which you know is a very valid question. And that she's upset because she deceived the one person she had respect for. You know, the doctor tries to console her that by like getting Otlock out of this, you know, like she helped him as an individual, even if she didn't like help the civilization. Right, he found new gods, or he found a new way of thinking, right. and that's Barbara does not look consoled. At well, yeah, because it's kind of like a, I mean, he's living off in the wilderness by himself now, so I'm not sure that is. I mean, there's an argument. I I can see the argument that Otlock was clearly a man troubled by the the things that you know that was going on, and so by sort of like doing this, she she helped to keep you know like sort of like emancipate his mind and to go off you know so that he doesn't have to like continue to take part in ritual he doesn't believe in but on the other hand mm. he's living by himself out in the wilderness it's like is that better yeah. i don't know not really so yeah barbara takes the bracelet off and leaves it and the doctor at first puts the medallion down that kameka gave him and it's about to leave and then he runs back grabs it and goes into the tardos so he wants a keepsake it's so sweet it is <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so then they leave and so then we have our our quick little like you know like teaser for the next story where they're all standing around in the in the TARDIS uh, sometimes obviously past because they, they've changed their clothes and the doctor says like they have a little bit of a mystery because some of the controls say that they've stopped while other controls say that they're moving and then Barbara guesses that they're probably inside, inside something. something yeah which I'm shocked that the doctor doesn't think of this because I'm like really is this your first time arriving inside something honestly it's always Barbara that we turn to for the solution That's- <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, so that's going to be our next story, which is called the Sensorites. Okay. But uh, but yeah, that's it for the Aztecs. It was actually really good. This was done by the same dude who did Marco Polo. Yes. And I could see that he really gets into his history, and it makes sense that of course my two cool guesses and deductions are from the same writer. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about this a little bit. Um, so what do you think of? sort of the idea of you can't change history but you can help one person i mean i like it if you couldn't what would be this you can't go back into past into the past and just observe you can't you'll always change something Mm -hmm. and you have to be very careful not to change anything that you hope is going to be a major thing i get where barbara's coming from it hurts to think about all the good things you could do all the things that you could stop i mean could you kill Hitler? That sort of thing. And I'm pretty sure that actually comes up in a, in a modern Doctor Who episode that I haven't gotten to. Right. 
I think it's a neat idea. Like my feelings about time travel and changing the past or the future are very well talked about whenever I talk about Terminator. <laughs> but right. I like the idea of being able to change one person, but at the same time, it feels harsh. It feels very bleak. Yeah, one of the theories that I've heard thrown around before is the idea of like, since it's Barbara's own history, she can't change it because it would undo herself. Right. And so it's one of those things that you can change things that aren't recorded history for you, but you can't change like things that are. So that's why like helping a single guy, because he's not part of history, right? He's just like one guy. But to change all of Aztec civilization would change you. So how could you change it? So that's one of the... They had that with Marco Polo and he saw the stupid TARDIS. Obviously, he couldn't have written about it because nobody would have believed him anyway. But still, they didn't seem to have any qualms about that. Right. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Well, yeah, and also, like, if the doctor's so convinced that they can't change things, why did he take the pulley with him? Because it's like, well, then you should have just left it because they would have just thrown it away or something if you can't change anything. Like, the fact that he takes the pulley tells me that, like, he was worried that they could mm-hmm. change history, so. So so you talked about the costuming a lot. I couldn't help <laughs> <In> this... it. <laughs> so, so how do you think, like, they sort of handled the whole Aztec side of things? Like, do you think it was... How do I put this? Because we talked about the costumes. We talked a little bit about the sets. Do you think that it was handled fairly well? Do you feel like it had like a very sort of like Western European, slightly, you know, racist sort of overtone? Or what would you kind of think of like how they handled it? I don't think it was racist. I think there was a lack of diversity from the availability of the casting. Right. That's going to be the problem throughout the first two decades of this show. Because of when it's filmed. Right. But, and I'd have to look up to see if, you know, crooked bangs were the thing. I, I think that was a wig he was wearing. I'm so pretty sure it was. Sad. <laughs> I couldn't stop staring once I realized it. I'm like, oh no, I'm not sure if this is better or worse than the hat. <laughs> but um, I think that the outfits themselves were fantastic. I mean, especially Barbara's, man. Oh, mm. it looks gorgeous. I, it looked very, from what I had ever seen in my history books, it looked appropriate. I don't yeah. know about the headpieces because honestly, back then I didn't pay much attention to what they were wearing on their heads. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we have photographs. We do have, you know, the pieces left behind in the tombs and such that we can see but i don't i don't recall how accurate those were otherwise i thought that it looked pretty good i really like that stupid painted backdrop too for the city i thought it was neat. Yeah. yeah no i thought it worked really well too like i say they actually got some real like sort of depth into the sets which i think has been kind of lacking in the previous stories so i think that that was really nice they did for the middle episodes actually get to move to another stage because something was happening on the one that they were working that they usually did which mm-hmm. was bigger but it still looks it still has that same depth in the other two so i mean it's not like moving to that other stage was all, that was it i mean that was the only reason because they definitely did a better job making it look big so what do you think about like this whole sort of like thing of like usually the sci-fi trope is the bad guy is the one posing as a god but in this case it's barbara who is our hero that's the one posing as a god what do you think about that as a sort of like a story idea oh no st- totally love it again road to el dorado when you see it you'll understand why i'm like okay. totally, totally have no problem with this okay it was cool with me because you know, there's even oh my gosh i can't even i can't spoil it i can't spoil it for you nope not gonna do it okay 
I was about to say something that could have been a fantastic moment, but if anybody has listening has seen it, you will you will know what I'm referencing without referencing it. Just mm-hmm. go with it, people. Just go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a great thing. I like the idea of them, of Barbara and everybody pretending to be the the gods or the people that they're not. And I love and hate, but I I love it simply because it doesn't happen often enough. The bad guy basically wins. Yeah. It ends on such a sad note. It does, and and yeah, I mean, I like it because it turns everything on its head. I mean, it's funny because this is older, but it turns it on its head from what we expect because of that. Like, normally it would be the guy, like, saying, like, this is, you know, this is false. This person's deceiving us. That would be our hero character. Mm-hmm. But he's not. He is the villain of this story. And so, but he gets to win in the end. So it's very interesting. It's always an interesting way for them to open up the discussion of time travel was in a story like this. Not in a story, you know, like, it's not like any of your typical stuff of let's change a major historical event or, you know, something personal to the character. It's usually one of those two things, right? It's either about changing a very major historical event or something personal to the main character. In this case, it was something where it was like, it had nothing to do with her life, per se. It was just sort of like her passion, her hobby, mm-hmm. you know, thing. That that it was just, I want to change this because it would be good. And so, like, I thought that this was just a very interesting way to explore the whole idea of changing history in a story like this. Because the stakes were high, but not in the way they normally are. Right. And what did you think about the doctor in love? And was he in fact in love? I think he was because when Kameka at the end wanted to go with him mm-hmm. for one moment, he looked really tempted. At least that's mm-hmm. how I took it. I was like, he wouldn't ha- even consider that for a heartbeat. It's like she could see his face. Mm-hmm. So he honestly, I feel like he was really considering, could I do that? Would that be okay? Because I, I don't think he would do that if he didn't have genuine feelings for her. He never intentionally tried to hurt her, even at the end when it became obvious he couldn't say yes she was still just like think of me and in this little sexy voice and he's just like oh sad but yeah. he would have taken the medallion he wouldn't have taken it if he didn't want to remember her if he didn't actually like her yeah i i think i agree with you i mean it also the, the other thing that i really love about them putting that in this story though is that it gives us some light comedy to sort of alleviate the tension of the story oh, yes because the story is overall fairly dark and it is fairly tense and then you've got this like wonderfully cute stuff of first them flirting and then the doctor unintentionally getting engaged and then he's cool with it he just tells ian like as you know hey the sun came up this morning yeah so what do you think about our our aztec characters otlock tanilla cathoxyl ixta i like octlock yeah otlock oh it's hard so hard for me to wrap my mouth around these weird (laughs) names i'm just not used to them Mm -hmm. i thought he was cool i feel like he is indeed the older progressive dude he is the one that you know i really wish that in a normal happy ending he would have been the one to stop everything lead his people on to a new thing now he went off into the woods and became a hermit Mm -hmm. i loved our bad dude I'm sorry. Him and his headdress, his painted mouth, his evil conniving ways. I kept expecting him. I know exactly who he reminds me of. Do you remember the Hanna-Barbera cartoons? It was the bad guy with the dog. The dog that would always go <laughs> He just ha- Oh, oh, yeah. Um. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. In all the, the big race episodes where they brought mm-hmm. all the Hanna-Barbera characters together. Yeah, the Laugh Olympics. Yeah. Yes, it was him. He reminded me of the, both of them just managed to put mash up the the human and the dog together. Muttley? Yeah, Muttley was the dog. Yeah, I remember the dog's name. I couldn't remember the name of the actual 
character, though, that you were talking about. He kind of reminded me of the two of them put together. <laughs> and maybe that's why I thought it was funny. His hair with his curls in front of his eyes mm. bothered me slightly. No, I thought he was hilarious. The name of the guy with the warrior with Ian. Ixta. Ixta. Oh, he was he was a puffed up Pop and Jay like nobody's business. <laughs> I like to use wow. the, the word Pop and Jay. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> he was. That's all I can think about is he's just like inflates to three times his actual size but if you pour water on him he's just like a skeleton there's a lot of felt like there's a lot of chest acting going on there oh so much about my chest (laughs) it's just like some average dude he's just like i'm gonna puff out my chest oh my gosh but kameka was definitely my favorite i really Mm -hmm. liked her i thought she was sweet yeah yeah the the one you didn't mention is probably because i feel like he his actor was like reading from cue cards and that's danilla yeah he he was like after you get these performances like i mean otlock's kind of understated but you know he's at least like convincing as this wise old man but but after you have like clotoxel and ixta and then you've got danilla who's just oh yeah she seems very intelligent <laughs> it's like he's not on the same level as the rest of these characters and he's just so flat and it's just kind of like yeah. Uh, oh, well, you can't win them all. So we talked a good bit about Barbara um, in this one, but what do you think about the Doctor and Ian? I like their interactions. I like the Doctor. I like the exploration of giving the Doctor a girlfriend and a yes. fiance. I thought that was a fun chance. He has got some serious mood swings between just going off on Barbara and then hugging her two seconds later, trying, oh, I'm sorry, it's okay. Mm. He didn't say, I'm sorry, but... You know, you don't know any better, basically, is what he says. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's just still got issues. Maybe he should have brought Kameka with him. With them. Maybe she could have mellowed him out. Well, I feel like this is kind of a mellowing, though, because he is concerned about Ian. Like, like, when he thinks Ian is dead, he is very upset about it. This is not the guy who is just like, I'll just put you off the ship. I don't care what's out there. You know? Yeah, there like, was that. <laughs> he, he has definitely changed. <laughs> I think Ian kind of maybe needs to stop trying to white knight everything. Mm. I think we have an issue there. I would like to see it not work out. Also, if Ian could just, if he sees a body on the floor or on the <laughs> ground, please walk the other way as quickly as you can. If there's a weapon, don't touch it. Or if there is, just grab it and go. <laughs> Please don't stick around. That's, that's my thing. It's like, I understand totally if you see somebody on the ground checking to see if they're okay. So, I, I mean, even though I joke, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's totally okay to go check. Don't grab the weapon and just stand there. Like, if it's like, okay, the person's fine, but they're unconscious, and it's like you're just standing there holding the weapon, it's just like, you could have left. Like, you didn't need to be there. Oh, God. Ian just has this need. He's got to check it out because obviously he's forgotten all his physics teacher, like, like knowledge no. in this episode. Oh my god! <laughs> and Susan, although we didn't see her as much because this was her vacation, I'm still very proud of her for standing up for herself and yeah. still being like, "I'd rather be punished than marry this dude." Mm-mm. Yeah, no. I mean, like I said, this is terrible. I mean, because it basically would be rape. Like he would take her. Now, for all that they, you know, have women in a much lower position 
I liked the fact that in the very beginning, they totally accept Barbara as the reincarnation of this god because the form doesn't matter. It's still the god. Right. I'm like, see, that's cool. There you yep. go. Progressive right there. But it's okay. We're just going to hand off women to whatever men want them. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how like how Aztec society was in general for you know gender. But I mean, in this case, it was because he was the sacrifice. I mean, it wasn't just anyone could. Now, I'm sure parents could give away their kids to anyone because that's that's true of most you know civilizations <laughs> at that time i don't think any man could just demand any woman i don't think it probably worked that way but i also kind of wondered if kameka and orlock if they uh, were friends or knew each other in a different capacity well yeah because i mean like he mentioned like when the doctor sees her and he asks about her otlock seems to know her fairly well like because he's telling him all about her and then like later when they're talking about like when he's like sort of become dis- disenchanted with their whole society he says like even though i've lost my faith in the religion i still have faith in you so i think that they were friends i had hoped so i wondered if there was something romantic that had maybe just cooled into friendship or something it could well be i don't know i mean i just know that yeah it seemed like they knew each other pretty well so was it quit talk so oh god i'm never gonna say that right it, yeah. was it him that sealed up the father in the tunnel in the book they never mention why or how it happened they just mentioned that ian found the skeleton and so okay. you at least get the explanation for he died. I mean, it could just be that he, for whatever reason, couldn't open. Like he got inside, and for whatever reason, he couldn't somebody get the ceiling panel open. Yeah, somebody might have randomly closed the stone, and for whatever reason, he couldn't get the ceiling thing open or whatever because it was stuck or something. I don't oh know, but and he just drowned. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't go into that much detail. Okay, I was curious if he'd been like a rival to maybe Kameka's affections with somebody else, and maybe that was the, or if he knew too much. If maybe he had been killed because he built or knew that secret tunnel well and that's the thing because like at least with the egyptians i know that they would kill the architects of the pyramids so that they couldn't tell like what the secrets Mm -hmm. were of like where stuff was hidden so i thought it was kind of surprising that they would have a tomb that they wanted sealed and they would let the architects survive because i was like yeah yeah usually if you want a tomb to be like that like completely safe from grave robbers you would get rid of the architect but you know whatever so yeah like a little a strange fact that i learned uh while uh, while researching this one they were thinking of getting rid of Barbara at this <gasps> point. Yeah, no. and, and, and it shocks me because it wasn't like, oh, but then they saw this episode and we're like, no, 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 we can't do that because she's awesome. It was actually the memo. So, like, they have, like, memos that because the, the BBC, like, retains records and stuff. And so there was a memo sent mm-hmm. out where they were talking about how they wanted to change the format and they were going to get rid of Barbara to shrink the cast down to three people. And the Ooh. only reason they didn't wasn't because they were like, no, she's awesome. The reasoning was because they hadn't been approved for more than 52 episodes. They were like well, why bother making a change now if we're only going to get, you know, like if we're going to finish up soon. So let's, you know, let's wait and see. And so. I mean, if I was going to get rid of somebody, I'm sorry, Ian's got to (laughs) go. Oh, no. Poor Ian. (laughs) (laughs) I love my Barbara, but Ian is just, you watch The West Wing? Uh, I haven't seen The West Wing, no. Okay. Okay. For anybody who has, Ian reminds me a lot of Josh. Josh doesn't think he's a hothead. He just rushes into things. Hmm. Ian reminds me of that a lot. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I love him and Barbara together. It's so I cute. know. <laughs> Except for whenever he realizes she's missing, he's like, we have to find Barbara. Oh, look at the sunset. <laughs> it was just a really impressive view, okay? Even you commented on how good it looked. So Barbara's I- like, Ian, something's wrong. I overheard this thing. We gotta invent. Shush, I'm listening to a story. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. All right. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah. That one's still more fair, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the only other thing that I would bring up is it's sort of like, you know, one of the things that I really liked about this is that it almost basically says, like, what right does our culture have to sit in judgment of the Aztecs? Uh-huh. It's sort of, like, put up there as part of this sort of, like, time travel question. But then there's this sort of dual, like, issue of, you know, like, because that's getting back to the conversation when the doctor's not just talking about you can't change history. He's talking about this is their religion, this is their way of life, this is their culture. And it's one of those things of, yeah, to us, this is totally abhorrent, but... To them, this is the way they are. So, like, how could we change that? And so it's very interesting because it's different from, you know, a lot of stuff, I think, even in this time, which would be very much, like, pro-Western, you know, like, definitely, like, anything Western European, anything Christian is, you know, 100% correct. And anything that mm-hmm. deviates from that is is wrong. And, and it kind of has that theme in there, though, of this is a different culture and we shouldn't be on our high horses, like, judging them. I think the doctor definitely has the precursor to the prime directive right there. That's right. It is. It is a lot like that. And and like I said, I mean, the reasoning was more because the people behind the scenes didn't want like to ruin their educational show by changing history (laughs) because that might confuse the kids. But it does create that sort of thing of we can have these great adventures, but that's that's all it's going to like the history is going to be there for the setting. It's not going to be there for like, you know, changing anything. And so, um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Interesting. So, final thoughts, Juliet. I really enjoyed this arc. I totally loved Barbara just rocking it center stage. I loved, even though I couldn't stop laughing at some hats. <laughs> I loved most of our, I loved most of the characters that were in the episode. Like, mm. everybody was, except for like one person, was owning their character to the max mm-hmm. even our eavesdroppers in behind the doctor <laughs> and kameka there's like one woman back there who's constantly seen between them just she's like deliberately like leaning closer eyes wide what i find fascinating about this is a lot of your comments are actually mirroring what the people were talking about in the commentary track because they <laughs> talk about the extras like caroline ford again is talking about like these people are just so wonderful like they look like really like they're like authentically like from here and just like what old people would do if they're sitting around bored all day and these people are you know talking they would be like kind of like hey what's going on over here Garden you know? of peace. Oh, hey, look. <laughs> somebody new yep exactly so yeah pretty good so what about you i mean how does this fit in with some of your favorite episodes or non-favorite episodes Uh, well i I want your rating oh my rating okay out of 10 out of 10 i'm gonna be a bit generous simply because i really enjoyed it and i'm gonna go with a nine okay yeah, I, I think this is the high point of the first season. I love this story. I mean, it's the BBC. They do historicals. They do historicals really well. It looks great. It's got a great script. Most of the people are acting and firing on all cylinders. Um, we didn't talk about the music. I think the music is really good. I had comments about flute music in there. All oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, the flute music was great. Yeah, yeah. And it's um actually, the, this guy goes on to work for Hollywood um, nice. and become like a big star. Or, like, not a big star, but like a big like Hollywood guy Rodney something Bennett I think anyway like they, they're commenting about how he's a well-known like uh, probably like the best well-known composer who ever worked on Doctor Who because of what yeah. he went on to do so yeah I mean I think that this is a true classic so I mean to me and and my scale is a little maybe a little bit relative 
So, like, I'm sort of counting, like, 60s stories and judging it against other 60s stories. Uh, to me, this is the 10. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love this one. This, I'm so happy. I was worried you were going to be like, God, this was crap. <laughs> I was going to no, be I mean, like, no. I may, I may take on the costuming and uh, I may take on the wigs and I may make fun of the fighting. Mm-hmm. But I'm always down for a good story. And it does make me wonder if the original tapes of the Marco Polo arc had survived instead of just the stills and such, would I have enjoyed it more? And that's a good question. Because like I said, the, the, the one time that's happened for me where I've seen a reconstruction first and then the this, this whole story was discovered um, was a story with the second Doctor. And it went from being one that I thought was an absolute snooze fest to being one of my favorites. So it sometimes having those visuals just really helps. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like getting the getting the action. Honestly, it really makes a difference. The doctor's face when he realizes what the mm-hmm. hot cocoa meant. The expression on his face when he's tempted to take her with him. Just the little the little things. Our evil dude, where I expect to see him holding his fingers together mm-hmm. in front of his face, but just his expressions when he's looking directly into the camera. Yeah. There are just things that I don't think can be captured in audio only. Yeah. And since it was, a, you said it was the same writer, correct? Yes. That's why I'm thinking maybe Marco Polo would have been more engaging to me had, it, had I been able to see the original episode. Yeah. Now, I mean, so Marco Polo, it's definitely longer and there's probably a little more, you know, sort of padding wise. Different cast, although I still think they're fairly high quality, but again, it's hard to tell just by voice alone. Mm-hmm. And so, and different directors. So again, you have all of that in there. So, I mean, it could just be like, just Aztecs was like a sort of perfect storm of everything coming together. But it all could also be, yeah, like you say, Marco Polo would be just as highly regarded. Because Aztecs is generally fairly highly regarded. It is not one that that's like a lot of people say like, oh man, it's crap. It's fairly highly regarded. But yeah, it could well be that Marco Polo would have that same status if it existed, Uh, which I always hope, you know, one day. Uh, Because Marco Polo actually, because it's one of the first ones, was sold to more countries than any other missing story. So it might still be somewhere. Right. So it could, there's more chances, I think, for it to actually be somewhere. So You know, one of the other reasons I'm going to give it such a high rating is simply because of its darker ending. Mm. And I love the fact that from modern who from what i have seen it's not always happy it does get dark and that's part of the reason i love my ninth doctor so much mm-hmm. i like darkness in what i watch i love darkness in star trek what would ds9 be like without the dark i don't know it'd be terrible i don't want like everything to just be a slog because then it would be directed by zach well, snyder walking dead but uh, <laughs> or walking dead. <laughs> i love the walking dead don't get me wrong but it's also very bleak yeah but yeah every once in a while i want the bad guy to win because then that because if the good guys always win and if it's always great for the good guys there's nothing to struggle against right because you know you're going to win right if the bad guys win some of the time then the good guys have something to actually fight against and i think that makes for better storytelling and it was perfect in this episode no but that no i'm glad that you liked it and yeah i uh this is my there's one or two more coming up eventually that i also really really like from the first doctor but this is definitely one of my favorite first doctor stories nice and uh, so like I always do, I will mention a Doctor Who nonfiction book. This time I'm going to talk about Doctor Who, The Handbook by David Howe, Stephen Walker, and Mark Stammers. Basically, so I talked about The Television Companion before, which is by uh, two of the same people. That's more about the actual stories of Doctor Who, um, even though it also gives like a cast list and some other like sort of behind the scenes stuff. The Handbook is really more about the making of 
Doctor Who, like who these people were, like what their thoughts were about the series and stuff like that. So I love making of. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it is to check out Doctor Who the Handbook. Nice. Yeah. And next time, like I mentioned, we are doing the Sensorites, and that is a six-parter. Okay. And all six parts do exist, so it's on BritBox. So that's good. Uh, After that, though, we go back to another reconstruction, but at least it's a partial one where we have, it's another six-parter, but the four of the six episodes exist. So it's only two episodes that are reconstructed. Okay. All right. That wraps things up for this episode. I'm Nathan. I'm Juliet. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Time Streams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything at 42cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License.